I had a lot of fun sitting down with our guest today. We got to talk about the news. We got to talk a little COVID, talk a little process of journalism and running the podcast. It was just an all-around good time. I think you guys will really like it. Please give it up for Eric Black. Imagine you probably spent a lot of time in front of a mic doing recording, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Not anything new. Mm-hmm. Are you just a a freelance journalist, or um? So I basically I'm a freelancer. I have my own site, Arcada News, which is on Facebook. Everybody should like, comment, and subscribe. Also on YouTube, Arcada News. Everybody should like, comment, and subscribe. Um, as you know about that game. Um, but then also now I contribute my videos to, uh, to keep TV. So that, so that part, but that's also freelance. I, you know, I do get paid per project. How does that work? Is that a pretty steady gig or is that kind of why you're building out your own stuff? Well, um, they have a news program that they started two years ago and they need, they don't have staff reporters. All they have is freelancers. So they're very open to just about anything because they don't have a staff that they don't have reporters that are on staff. They, if I pitch and I, every idea I've ever pitched they they want it. So it's, it's great because I'm in control of what I report on. There are a lot of things that go on that are worthwhile news topics that I don't care about. And I don't want to spend my time looking into and I don't have to, I only report on the things that I find interesting, which is awesome. Yeah. How nice is that? It's great. Yeah, I would imagine somebody saying, okay, you need to go out and report on this, and you're not fully invested. That could be a drag. So I, I've had jobs like that before. Uh, back in the day, I had a radio news reporting gig in Eureka where I was the, the equivalent of like the time standard. I was general doing everything, right? Giving you a comprehensive look at the news. And yeah, you got to report on a lot of things that you're just like, yeah. I, just, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it's just not, not interesting to me. Not, not creative, not challenging. So freelance is great. Now, the, the downside is uh, the pay is not great. Do you mind if I ask what the typical pay is? So Headline Humboldt pays per how long your story is. So they pay uh, $100 per minute. Um, there are problems with that pay structure because, well, in other words, all right, how long does it take to make a video? If some people ask me this all, all the time, how, how long does it take to make a three-minute video? Well, it depends. I can make a three-minute video in 10 minutes, or I can invest 75 hours in a three-minute video. It depend, the, the 75 hours version is going to give you production value that's way better. It's going to be way more interesting to the audience. It's going to be much more dynamic in the visuals that it has, uh, and it's just going to be a better product. So when you only pay for length, the incentives for the reporter are to do low production value so that you're making good money. Whereas the incentive for the station and for the audience, it's better for the station and the audience if you give high production value, right? So they're at tension there. And I don't exactly know, so it's a problem in their pay structure. I don't know how to resolve that tension. Um, I understand why they pay per, per time because that's like an easy thing to measure. I don't know what the alternative is but I know that it's not an effective pay structure for the reason that I just mentioned. I mean, if you think about it, when, you, when 
when reporters create stories, they edit them and they cut them down and they cut them down and they cut them down so that they're presenting a very dense story of what occurred. This is particularly important in radio and video stories. This is what NPR is so good at, right? They, people talk about the driveway moment where they're listening to a story on NPR. They get home, but they don't want to get out of the car because they're in the middle of the story because the story is so dynamic. The way NPR does that is they edit and they cut down and they cut down and they cut down relentlessly. The reporter does it, and then when the reporter submits the story to the editor, the editor further cuts down and cuts down so that what's left is this super dense, every single word that the reporter is saying is filled with meaning. And it's very good. It's a very dynamic listening experience. I, like many other people, like to listen to NPR news stories. But it takes them forever to produce those stories. They have an enormous staff, right? So if you're getting paid per time, it, all that matters is the time, and it doesn't matter how good the story is, your incentive is to not cut down. Cutting down takes time, right? So, you know, and, and I, I try to cut down because I want the product to be good and I want the artwork to be good. So I'm, I'm spending more time to create a shorter story, and so I'm totally screwing myself both ways. I'm spending a lot of time and I'm creating a story that is shorter than it would have been if I had not cut down so much, and I'm losing money, which is a problem. Yeah, the incentive system's not 100% there. Yeah. Do you think that's because they don't, they're not on the creative side of actually manufacturing the story or putting all the pieces together, that they don't understand the time that's actually going into it? I think that they're... I think more the problem is, like I just said, I don't know of what better way to... What's the alternative? You, you have to basically have a pay structure that is going to be uniform across all your freelancers. So you could get into a subjective world of the station analyzing the story and saying, all right, this one is really good with high production value. We're paying you $1,000 for this two-minute story. Someone else submits something that they didn't work on that hard. And they say, okay, we're just, we're just giving you 75 bucks for this story. But that's pretty dif difficult with the employees, with the freelancers, because, you know, you're paying people different amount of money for what is ostensibly, at least objectively, the same amount of work, even though subjectively it's not. So I have thought, tried to think of ways to change this dynamic, um, and I don't have a good solution to it other than to do what I just said, but that is going to create problems. Do you think you could alleviate some of that by having them hire full-time reporters and removing the freelance aspect? Or would you lose the control of you being able to pick what story you want to do in that, in that mode? So I do think that if I was to actually work on their staff, I'd have less choice. Um, now, I might be able to retain some choice, but whenever you go, I mean, tons of news reporters deal with this dynamic all over the place. Right. They they like the independence of freelance, but freelance is a rough world. Right. They like the artistic aspect. They they're in the exact same position that I'm in that I've described. They love the artistic aspect, but they're struggling with money. Um, and then they go then they go on staff and then they lose some freedom. And then they have to do some tasks that they don't really want to do and they can't really dive into their artwork 24 seven, 100 percent of the time they're working, but they make better money. It's it's a trade off that everybody has to deal with. Um, so. I don't know whether whether Keat could could produce a better product by having staff reporters. I'll remain agnostic on that one. Probably smart. Yeah, I mean, is that kind of why you started Arcata News? Was then you're putting that time into something that's your product at the end of the day? Well, I started the site way before I started freelancing for Keat. Um, 
I started it because I wanted to produce videos and I did not have a likely place to put them on any of the established outlets here. Um, and producing news stories and now producing video, which has evolved into my medium. This is who I am. This is what I want to do. If there's no money in it, that it would be better if there was a lot of money. And I mean, you know, this whole world. I mean, yeah, you're I, preaching to the choir I, over I, here. I, I'm totally preaching to the choir. So, I mean, I get, you know, so for the, uh, for our viewers and for your listeners, um, so, and, and, you know, I'm Heller Highwater. This is what I'm going to do. This is me. And I'm sharing who I am. And I'm getting massive value out of that, of, of sharing who I am and making these videos. That's why I started the site, because I wanted to produce news videos. That's who I am. It wasn't super strategic. Um, I mean, I, I hoped that I could get better. And in the process, I would be able to pitch to places and get a job. But at the, at the time, Keith didn't have a, a news show. So the only video news in town was... Channel 3, uh, Redwood News and North Coast News, which isn't really my vibe. Um, so I knew I wasn't going to report for those guys. Uh, for a while, Lost Coast Outpost had a video news reporter um, who was doing a really good job. And I, I imagine she, she produced videos for them for maybe like a little more than a year. But eventually, uh, she was no longer with them. And I assume what happened is that her stories didn't get any more traffic than the written stories and the video stories take so much longer to produce. So she's producing one fifth, the amount of stories as the other reporters, but she's bringing in the same amount of revenue and that's not sustainable. I'm guessing, I don't know what happened. I've never talked to anyone. I've never talked to her. I'm just guessing by what I know about video is that because it takes so long to make it, you're, you're going to have to really generate a lot of interest for every video for it to be financially sustainable. And so they eventually went away from it and they haven't replaced her. Yeah, I mean, if you're competing with someone that's just sitting down and writing and you're investing 12 hours into a three-minute clip, it doesn't pencil out when you look at it on paper. It's not amazing. Um, and every time I'm doing it, I'm like, I can't believe how long. I mean, it just it takes over my... You have to love it. You have to love it and you have to want to do it. Otherwise, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. You said that Redwood News and it wasn't really your jive. Is that just their direction of news or the, pro the projects that you wanted to cover? So it's a couple of things. So there's the, the kind of substance work reasons and the vibe reasons. And the I've vibe at the workplace. Yeah. I, and I've anticipated that you were going to ask me this question. So I've got it all dialed in my head because I knew you were going to ask this. So... If you talk about the actual work that they're doing, so Donya Romero came in here. Yeah, she, she's been on the podcast. Yeah. So she said on your podcast that she comes in at three and she's got to have a story at six. Okay. She's got to have that story at six. She's got to have the story into the tech room by 540 at the latest. Okay. She's got two hours and 40 minutes to produce a story. If you produce a video story in two hours and 40 minutes, it's going to be trash. The best report, if I produce a story in two hours and 40 minutes under the constraints that she's working, it's going to be trash. If you gave me a full day, it'd be trash. Right. I, I still couldn't come up with it. Yeah. It, it's, so, I mean, kudos to her because she cranks them out. She's with, I think, Fox News. She, right? Fox or North Coast North Coast News. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Fox and ABC is North Coast News and then NBC is Redwood News. Okay. Uh, NBC and CBS is Redwood News. So, um, so really what she's doing is a different art form almost 
It's obviously within the same genre of news reporting, but what I call what the TV stations do is fast food journalism, right? They're just cranking it out quickly over and over and over again. So, and that's not to disparage what they're doing. Danya Romero is awesome. I, I watch her all the time. I think North Coast News is the bomb. I watch them all the time. I used to watch them when I had TV access. Now I just watch their clips on social media, but I appreciate them massively. But it is, it is, it, there's just a limit to how comprehensive and how detailed and how creative the reporting and storytelling can be when you have so little time, right? There's McDonald's and there's a San Francisco steakhouse, right? And if you go to McDonald's and you ask to speak to the manager because the food's not as good as it was at the San Francisco Steakhouse, well, dude, you're, you're confused about what to expect, right? You're, you're going to get some laughs. Yeah, it's, it's just not the same thing. There's a role for McDonald's in the world, right? When your kids are hungry and you don't have time, you take your kids to McDonald's, now they're full. It's great, right? And there's a role for San Francisco Steakhouses that, you know, you have a date night, whatever, and you go there. But they're, they're doing two different things, even though they're related in the food world, right? They're both serving food. Same thing with what I would compare what I do to what Danya's doing and what the, the corporate TV stations always do in local news. So that's the first thing. They're not doing, I like creative, in-depth storytelling, and they don't do that. The second thing is that their bread and butter, the local corporate TV news, is car crashes, wildfires, and structure fires. That's what they do. That's what she was talking about a lot on your podcast. I only listened to the first two hours, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, that was a dense one, to be fair. I think we did five hours for that. Okay. So, so she talked about it a lot, and that, that's what Nazi Javid, her former boss, made her name in Humboldt County by being the first to car crashes in Eureka, going live on Facebook and saying, I'm here, and you know, she's got the sirens in the background, and she's, you, know, there you can see cop cars in the background and all that stuff. I, again, I understand the need for that in news reporting, but I don't care about any of that. So I don't want it to spend my time doing that. And that is what TV stations do in reporting. So those are my two work reasons. They're doing things that just aren't that interesting to me. Then there's the vibe issue. The vibe issue is that these are incredibly corporate environments, TV news stations. Um, I worked at Redwood News behind the scenes in the control room. You know, and I just know this from watching TV, but then, you know, I was working there, so I have an even more familiarity with it. Um, I'm not really cut out from that mold. I am who I am, and I'm going to be who I am. And if my vibe doesn't fit with your vibe, I'm just going to say, okay, good luck, and you continue on your path, and I'm on my path. That's not going to work at a corporate TV station. You have to fit into their mold of, being a news anchor, a happy talking head, you know, I'm Ken, here's Barbie next to me. You know, I've got my hair parted on the side. I've got a wristwatch on my left hand. I've got my shirt and tie and all that. I take out all my jewelry because I have earrings and facial jewelry and all this stuff. None of that's going to work for me. No, I'm, I'm dictating my aesthetics. No one's dictating to me my aesthetics because my aesthetics are important to me. That's why I work in video. I'm interested in aesthetics, but it's just a different aesthetic than what the corporate media wants to project. Incidentally. I think that the corporate media is too obsessed with the fact that you have to be that way. I think they are your, I think the audience is smart enough to know that it's fine for men to have earrings. Like people, it, it's 2022. I don't know that the corporations specifically tell people to take out their jewelry, but I've never seen a man with earrings working as a TV news anchor. 
it in a corporate environment. And I mean, come on, man. I mean, it, it's 2022. Like people just, they know that all types of people exist on this planet, right? People tell me a lot, a lot. One of the main feedbacks I get from my work is that, wow, it's really professional. And they don't say, wow, it's really professional, but you have rings in your face, so I don't want to watch. That would be ridiculous. You're not going to watch my videos because I have rings in my face? Dude, right? So I think that corporate, the corporate TV stations need to uh, loosen up, but they're not listening to me. I, I'm nobody. So, you know. Do you think that they'll have to eventually listen because of the internet and because journalists now have a medium to go independent? Maybe. That would be awesome. I mean, there, as you know, there's so much good independent media. There's so much. Um, I'm guessing you consume a lot of it. I consume so much of it. Um, there's so many options besides. Now, there, there isn't options of, you know, watching the daily news in video format from your local town other than the corporate environments. No one's doing that independently. It would be very difficult to do that independently. You can do this show like once a week, long form interview format, but producing 10 stories a day, every day, that's a different game. And so, you know, they do have this stranglehold for the time being on that specific service. Um, and again, I, I, I want to note because I, I feel like I'm, you know, saying, well, you know, the corporate media sucks. I watch North Coast News all the time. So I don't think it sucks. If I thought it sucked, I wouldn't watch it. I don't think, I mean, local is a different story, but nationally it kind of sucks. I mean, when you get to CNN and Fox News and the big behemoths, I'm comfortable saying it kind of sucks. I wouldn't go that far. You don't think it sucks? No. Do you think, what's your take on, on the behemoths? Well, for one, their production value is over the top. Their production value is incredible. I am trying, a lot of what I do and what I've learned is by watching them. Um, so, you know, and also, all right, so one perspective that I have is for me with my tiny little audience and such limited success to criticize people that are in the same industry who are super successful is a bit ridiculous. Sometimes I feel doing that because they've got the audience and I'm searching for the audience. Obviously they're doing something right now. Obviously it's a legacy media you know, CBS News has been around for 85 years and when they got the original broadcasting rights, et cetera. But they're, they're doing something right. I mean, people still do watch them. Now it's an older audience, et cetera, fine. And it, it's possible that in relatively soon their audience will really start dying out and they won't exist. But they do have an audience. Their production value is over the top. It's beautiful. Um, the way they put together stories, their editing, their After Effects is really, really good. Their Photoshop is really good. Um, their writing is pretty good. Um, as far as the spin, yes, there's been a fragmentation, and CNN and MSNBC are basically talking to the left, and Fox News is basically talking to the right, and that is annoying. Um, and if you look at PBS NewsHour, you know, I'm more familiar with NPR than PBS NewsHour because PBS NewsHour is supposed to be talking to everyone. Um, but at, at least in the case of NPR, I would say they're struggling to do that. They're, they're, they're drifting to the left on certain issues, and that is annoying. Um, but yeah, I, I, do, I, do, I learn a lot about 
producing videos from watching the network, the behemoths that you call them. Well, it's interesting hearing you go straight to the production side of that, which I hadn't taken into account and how it looks and the visual aspect and the work that's going on kind of behind the scenes to make it look good. I was thinking more content wise, that it seems like their content is, has faltered. And now you have these independents that are starting to rise up. And I think, I mean, CNN had their streaming service and that thing tanked, what, after a week? It was, did it make it a week? I don't, it was short-lived. Yeah. And they dumped an absurd amount of money into that. And so I think that is sad in some regards because you would think that these legacy media news organizations would have, I don't know, some, some credibility and would want to try to keep that and say, hey, no, we are this trustworthy news site. But it feels like at every turn, I mean, the independents are the ones that are really focused on actual content instead of just selling a clickbait story. But is the reason that the streaming failed that CNN's audience doesn't watch news online because they're older, whereas the people who do watch news online aren't interested in getting their news from CNN? It's like two different generations, right? People under 30 don't care about CNN. People over 60 really like the CBS news, right? So if, if they're trying to cross streams, I don't know if it's the content issue or the fact that it's different ways of you know streaming versus TV. Different that, medium. Yeah. Um, well, then you have to ask, what happens when your audience dies off? Are you going to pick up those 30-year-olds that are eventually going to be 60, or are they going to stick with the internet? So I, I'm, I'm always wondering about that, right? Are, are the 30-year-olds now who are just streaming and don't take this seriously, when they get older and they're slowing down and they're having kids and then they want to turn on the TV after dinner because they're tired from working their nine-to-five jobs, are they going to gravitate towards the CBS Evening News, maybe, I have no idea. Or are they just gonna stay, or is this just this permanent change in the media? I don't know, I don't know that. But why do you think that the behemoths are terrible content-wise? I think, well, I think Trump was an interesting case in that the news became more personality-based. It was more focused on just this shock and awe. Oh, what happened today with, with this? I mean, especially with Trump, with this one character. What did he do? What is this? What, are we, what tweets are we looking at right now? It became less about real hard-hitting journalism. And it was just, oh, this shock and awe guy. And now we're going we're gonna to base our whole criteria off of that. And that's the direction we're going to go in. I look at the news, like CNN and Fox News. I think of them as blockbuster in a way. And I don't know if we've had the Netflix moment arise. But I think, I think they're on the way out. I think Substack, sites like that, I think that has the potential to really take over. And maybe you just subscribe to your favorite journalists and then aggregate that some way. I think an aggregate, an aggregate site will arise that is even better and become like a Netflix where you just go to this site and it's got real independent journalists covering stories they want to cover. But remember, there's a massive difference between a Substack that has basically writing and podcasts on it, for the most part, and TV. Video is entertainment. That's like a key component of watching TV. You can kick back on the couch in a passive way and watch the evening news. You can't kick back passively and read a Substack. Sub reading requires activity. Watching TV doesn't. It what about a video podcast? Have you ever heard of Breaking Points? Crystal and Sager. Yeah, okay. So that, that, yes. I, that's what's coming to mind for me. I, I consume a lot of their content. I think they're great. But wouldn't something like that work? Because then you do have the video aspect. You have the production value. It looks nice. And it's also, you can kick back and watch it. 
Okay, so yeah, my buddy also likes them a lot. So uh, what are they doing, though? Are they going to this story, next story, next story with actual reporters? Or are they just commenting on this story, next story, next story? I think it's commentary, but they're also digging into it. It's from a left perspective and a right perspective. One of them's a Democrat, one of them's right. more conservative. So they got, you're getting both sides. I think it. I think you could argue it's a little more commentary based, but it sounds like they're doing the research behind the scenes to kind of dig into it. They definitely have team. They have a lot of money coming in for them. So you could build it out that way and maybe structure it where it's not so commentary handed, but they do, they cover multiple stories a day in one hour and a half long podcast. But commentary is much cheaper than reporting. That's, That's why a good point. You would need a bigger team if you're going to do report, actual reporting and going out and digging. Yeah, this guy I follow on Twitter is always talking about this. He's basically saying that the new media is constantly complaining about old media, but old media actually creates the core content reporting that the new media feeds off of and is a parasite of basically saying how awful it is. But without... The old media is starting that chain. The new media doesn't can't do anything because the new media is not actually reporting. Now that's an exaggeration, right? The new media does some reporting, but you know, I mean, you and I aren't going out to Ukraine to cover a story. No, we're not. We're, we don't have the funds to go do that. <laughs> no, so we're you've not. Got, you've got a great point there, but wouldn't that tie into if you just had a bunch of independent journalists covering stories, and then somebody came along and aggregated that all? into like a commentary thing because the anchors aren't the ones going out and covering these stories right Correct. they've got reporters going out investigative journalists going out if you just had those people freelance their stories in a sense and then you became the anchor for all of that in an online medium do you think that would work it's possible um you know i don't really know that much about the business of media really that much i never because I just like creating media. You're out here doing your thing. Yeah. Um, but really, nobody's done that yet, in, in my view. I don't see anything online that compares to like, okay, one story, next story, next story, we've got reporters. No one has done that on the web. And so and instead on the web, we complain a lot about people who do do that. It's easier to complain. It's very easy to complain. Um, that's why I always give these disclaimers when I criticize North Coast News or whoever, you know, Redwood News, because I, you know, I don't want to be the guy on the web that complains about my stories. And meanwhile, I've just created this thing that no one else in Humboldt County is creating. And then you're just dismissing it with a casual Facebook comment. And I'm just like, uh, dude, wake up. <laughs> you could disagree with my reporting, with my framing, et cetera. But to totally dismiss me as some chump, no, no, that's not, that's not a thing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know whether whether we can have actually comprehensive video news on the internet. But we do have awesome news and commentary from the writing and podcasting uh, platforms or delivery modes. Um, yeah, Substack has been incredible. I love Substack. Um, and it's drawn so many people that like the mainstream center left media hates, you know, and all these people are just blowing up. And it's great. I mean, I, I, the explosion of media, like in the last 20 years has just been with, you know, as the, the tech age dawned and now we have everybody that can communicate all the time for free. It's just awesome. I love it. It opens up a whole new world. Yeah. And the information that you can get from it is just 
I mean, you could look up anything you want to learn about. Anything. And it's, at the, it's at your fingertips. And no one's got a monopoly on information, and people are challenging each other left and right, and there's arguments going on. And, you know, uh, you know, there's the joke of, oh, you read it on the internet, so it must be true. Well, I, I, over time, I find people who I start to trust because over time I've read a bunch of stuff by them. It's like, oh, this guy's very nuanced. He's, he's intelligent. He's teaching me new ways to understand and bringing me facts that no one else brought me. And so, yes, I am going to trust some random dude on Substack about COVID over my local public health department. And I don't apologize for that. I think he's more trustworthy. And, and no, I don't think that the establishment has a monopoly on information and on correct perspective. Through me. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right? That, that's life. It is the hesitation still. And I notice more, it more from the older crowd where they say, oh, you need, my dad says it to me all the time. He says, you need to check your feed. Because I'll say, oh, I was reading about this. And he's like, yeah, you need, to, you need to check your feed. I don't notice that as much with friends who are around my age. Where mm -hmm. you say, oh, I read this article. They're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'll check that out. You don't get the dismissive tone right off the bat of, oh, where did you get that? You got that from the internet? And you're going you're gonna to just trust it? You know they can put anything on the internet, right? Well, I agree with your dad. You do need to check your feed. Well, to be fair, there's a balance. Yeah. Anybody can post on the internet, but you got to have a little faith that you're not going down some bit shoot rabbit hole and just watching some crazy videos. Well, but my response to him would be, okay, but you need to check your sources as well, because just because it's in the LA Times does not mean it's true. Everybody, I say that to them all the time. They yeah. watch like CNN and stuff or ABC. Like, yeah, you, you should check your, I, I've started saying that more recently. I'll come home and say, uh, you need to check your feed. I think you guys are getting a little too... You're getting a little too out there for me. How does your dad like that spicy comeback? Uh, he It cracks him up. We, that's our banter. It cracks him up. But, I mean, that ties back into my kind of hesitation around the behemoths now is I feel like you can only rock the boat so much with your credibility before people start getting off. Right? Have you noticed that as a reporter? What do you mean by that? Where if you come out and maybe you publish a false story, and you might think that it's true. If you don't come out immediately after and retract it or make some changes or say, hey, this was wrong. If you just keep riding that line, it, people stop trusting you, which yeah. is important. Is, I mean, uh, for what I'm doing here, especially, but for what you're doing, I would imagine equally so, is if people can't trust you, what are you who's going to want to watch your stuff? Right. Although, although in, your, in this podcast, like, you're not taking responsibility for anything I say, right? Like, I'm not even taking responsibility for what I say. <laughs> right. And also, it would be unrealistic to expect you to fact check every single thing that I'm going to say. And That's be ridiculous. Perfect. Right. Of course, you don't, I'm bringing up topics that you weren't anticipating. This is extemporaneous conversation. Um, and that's, this is what I try to explain to people about Rogan. Like, he's just having a conversation, he's not producing finely curated. There's no script. And there's no, he, he's not delivering the truth on high from big media. He's just having a conversation. If you want to watch it, watch it. If you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. I really like Rogan. I assume you do too, because this. The setup, it kind of screams. I mean, there's only so far you can go without entering that realm, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I like him a lot. And, and I think you've done a really good job of, of copying his, I mean, the, the, 
the production, the way the show looks is very reminiscent of Rogan, but then also your personality is very remin- reminiscent of Rogan because you're chill, you're open-minded, you're curious, you're friendly, you're good-looking. It's the same thing. as It's like the same combination of things that makes Rogan good. He's just, he's, he's chill, good dude. Well, and to say that you... I wouldn't be influenced by him would be a complete lie. I mean, I've consumed so many, that's one of my favorite podcasts, you know, and you, that's, that's one of the things that I would hope to someday give to somebody, even if this doesn't get any bigger than it is right now, is somebody to watch and say, Hey man, your podcast influenced me in a way. I think that's a great compliment to get from somebody. That would be awesome. Are you trying to get this podcast to an audience beyond Humboldt? Yeah. I mean, it has in a sense, um, we've hit a number of different countries, but yeah, the goal is to just get it bigger not necessarily so that it's big but just because of the access to new guests i mean right now it's kind of landlocked in that only people in humble can really come on nobody wants to travel from another state to come on this podcast quite yet but that would be the goal is just keep getting on more interesting people and are the people who are going to watch from all over are they going to watch because you're starting to get like national guests or are they going to watch because you know, Humboldt County has its romance, its charm because of the weed. Like, people are like, oh, I can learn about Humboldt through this podcast. Like, that seems like that's too different. Um, I think it's it's not necessarily the guests being national guests. I think it's just interesting people. Like, I, th- I find this conversation interesting based off how we've gone so far. Like, I'm interested to sit here and talk with you. And that's how I base all these podcasts is if I find it interesting. Gotta be somebody else. Even if there's just one other person, they might, they've got to find it interesting too, right? Yeah, but like, okay, so um, when you interviewed Renee, I forget the woman who run, who won Eureka City. Contreras de Loach. Yeah, so I find that interesting because I know nothing about her, and even though I don't really cover Eureka City Council, as a reporter, I try to have like general basic knowledge of everything that's going on. Um, so, and I know nothing about her. I thought her opponent was going to win, so I didn't even read any of her candidate statements, nothing. Then I'm like, whoa, who's this woman who just won the election? So I, I go to your podcast. I'm like, oh, he talked to her? Sweet. I'm going to watch this. This is great. So I'm like 30 minutes into that. But someone outside of Humboldt County, you know, even someone outside of Eureka, maybe, you know, who doesn't have the interest I have with news reporting, like, are they really going to be interested in that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you would be surprised. Some of the ones that I've thought, oh, this will just be a niche one for Humboldt people, um, reach, reach a pretty, pretty sizable audience, even outside of the United States. Huh which is interesting. I, I really think it's just if the conversation is interesting. It doesn't matter if you're talking to some beekeeper out of, I don't know, Blue Lake. And they're just, it's a small time beekeeper and they're just up there with their bees. Right. I, I would find that interesting. I, I think that's just the culminating factor. And it also might be at some point you get to the point where people are watching for you, not your guests. That I don't think I'm there yet. But yes, I, I think that is a level, like with Joe Rogan. Because you know how he talks and you know that he can keep a conversation going and it's probably going to be good. Even if you don't know the guest, it's probably going to be a good conversation. Totally. Yeah. I think that's a level I, I have yet to achieve yet. Okay. Well, it's good, out there. Good luck, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's all, that's all part of the fun, right? It's just, I mean, I'm sure you, you probably meet a lot of people when you're out reporting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you enjoy that communication aspect as well or? Yeah. Do you like being behind the camera a little bit more? Um, I like it all. I like being in front of the camera and behind the camera. Um, and especially, you know, I've been doing a lot of stories in Arcata where I live. I mean, it's called Arcata News. 
so you know i just see and kind of know a lot of people through reporting but then i just see them around town all the time like you know all the time arcade is pretty small we're on you see them at safeway or the co-op or wherever you're going or on the plaza we're just walking down the street they're coming the other way on the sidewalk um and so it's cool like that um and i like reporting on my neighbors and explaining what they're talking about and what's important to them um that's pretty gratifying uh and, and you don't get that when you're a national reporter because it's you're just hopping from one stranger to another and these people i mean i know where they live like exactly where they live that's their house and you know i talked to him yesterday that's his house right there um and so it's pretty cool then i then you know and there are a lot of people you interview over multiple stories because they're kind of like not influencers but they're people who get involved in local politics so you see them like oh i'm back to talking to this person it's been like two years but i'm back in you know um so i like all that and yeah i like being in back of the camera and in front of the camera and i think that's one of the ways that i'm pretty versatile because a lot of people are really more of one or the other um like Donya was saying that she's not a very good editor you know she was saying oh yeah it's really good that we have this staff that's backing me up and supporting me and all this stuff which is understandable so i don't have a staff like if i don't know how to do it it's not getting done yeah you got to figure it out yeah i got to figure it out um so that's why I've, I've figured out a lot of stuff i mean by asking the internet how to do something and especially when your question is a technology question there are tons of answers as you know um so uh so i've i've developed my skills um that i'm pretty stoked on like it, i lately i've been saying okay i need to you know because when you're when you're developing skills because you're just in it every day, there's never a point where you say, whoa, I've gotten a lot better because it's so gradual. Um, but I was like, okay, I, I need to have like a little self-appreciation thing because, whoa, these videos that I'm making now, they're like way better than they were five years ago. Look at how dynamic this thing that I created was, you know, and I get stoked on it. Um, but I got to keep going because there's so much, it's never ending, as you know. And it's easy to see that you're, you're putting the time into your videos. I mean, I like that you start out and you've got kind of the camera on you and you're giving your little intro and then you go into that narration aspect and you've got all your your cuts coming up and your little graphics coming up on screen i mean you put work into it yeah yeah and and there's also the aspect of you know i so i animate my graphics and the graphics need to be animate animated exactly according to my voice so that it's all synced and so it's all this dynamic experience this is what the big behemoths taught me they're doing this all the time um, and they're doing it every day, right? It's impressive because they're, they have the reporter voice the script at 3.30 and they've got to have the video on TV at 5. So they've, got to, they've got an hour to get into After Effects. You know, for me, After Effects takes forever, all this animation stuff because, you know, my, my little, you know, but they've got their procedures and their processes locked in and so they're really quick with it. But I'm, try I'm trying to get faster too. You know, getting faster as an editor is definitely... Crucial crucial i need to learn way more shortcuts i'm not i'm using my mouse way too much when i watch when i've just like watched over the shoulder of like good editors they almost look like they're typing right because they're never have it they're just shortcut 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 and i'm not really doing that i mean i use some but not as many as i could yeah i've got the the cut shortcut Andy was actually making fun of me the other day like dude i can show you some shortcuts on the keyboard because i just i i'm a mouse guy all the way right dragging everything around clicking to switch my cursor to something else yeah i don't have the i don't have those down at all right and it's it's a slow process that way you take something that could be done maybe in 30 minutes and you drag it out to 
45 an hour and all that adds up it especially adds across up. videos is that your biggest hang-up right now is just the time that it takes to push out a video yeah i mean it's a huge challenge um god i, I mean i've got so many challenges um the time is really an enormous thing so even before i start touching a camera i've got to do research and that sometimes is re a really long process and i'm i'm right you're researching you're reading you're reading and you're not actually shooting anything you're not you haven't even started the video and you're researching 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 it's a big process um and if you cut corners and you don't research it your story's not going to be as good it's not going to be complex pointed specific storytelling it's going to be much more general which is what you see on the local news because they don't have time to really understand the topic their reporters don't that, that, there's no way that 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 the stations that the corporations that own these stations can pay reporters to research topics i mean they'll read one article before they go out to shoot um and you're just not if, if a story is at all complex like wind energy which is very complex i don't know if you know about that there's going to be windmills off the coast theoretically like in 10 years we're going to have windmills 20 miles out at sea that are creating electricity that story is super complicated so i just produced a video about that topic and i was i did dozens of hours of research and reading before i ever contacted anyone for an interview before i started downloading images anything because i had to make sure that i understood what was going on on a reasonable level before i could start i before i could have a direction of what i'm going to report on then once i do all that research i picked because a story like that has so many different aspects to it if you try to hit all the aspects in one story, it's not going to work. It's going to be all over the place, and it's not going to be interesting. So I was able to say, okay, I'm super dialed in into one specific aspect of this story, and I will, and that will allow me to create this experience for the audience where I tell them a coherent story that it's in kind of three parts, classic three-part storytelling, an introduction of what the deal is, the conflict, you know, the challenge, then how it's going to be resolved in the third part. And then I can find my, uh, my sources that, are, that have expertise in that specific area, and then I'm starting into contacting for interviews and shooting and stuff. But if you don't do the research beforehand, you're not, you won't have your focus for the story, and you'll just be all over the place. And the local TV stations and also local radio stations, I think KMUD, which I've also freelanced for for many years there in Southern Humboldt, they do 30 minutes of radio news a day they have that problem where when it's a big story they're not they don't have time to do the research so they're not dialed in so they're going all over the place with in their storytelling and it just becomes confusing for the audience and not very informative and not very stimulating so i try to avoid that big time do you think part of that stems from that rough structure before you look for the interviews then you have a rough idea of the direction that you're going to take yeah i i before I do the interviews, I've got a pretty good idea of what the video is going to look like. Now, a good reporter has to be open to changing in the middle they, because you might meet with someone and you might get answers to questions that you weren't anticipating. It doesn't happen to me that often, but occasionally it does happen. Um, but yeah, I've usually got a focus. What's your time frame editing down? 
I mean, are you accumulating a couple hours worth of footage and then you're cutting that down to a 10 or 20 minute video? So this, well, this past one was a unique situation because normally I don't produce videos where there's just one source. Um, I normally, it's very hard to create an interesting news story with just one source. Um, and that's, I mean, I had two sources, but one of the sources only spoke once. And the only reason I included that second source is to not break my rule of not producing stories that only have one source. Um, because there has to be a change in the story. And the way you create change is by having multiple sources. Um, why did I go into that? Um, oh, so you're asking what's my time frame? So, well, I've I've got to I. It depends what. So a lot of times, what I do is I pull footage from the city council or uh, the planning commission or whatever, and that's recorded by Access Humboldt. So I don't actually have to shoot the video because Access Humboldt shoots it. You've got the footage right there. But a lot of times what I'll do is I'll go to the meeting that I want, and so I'll be Access Humboldt's second camera, right? I have my camera, and then I can go back and forth between my camera and their camera. That creates a more interesting visual experience, and it also allows me to cut and not have a jump cut, right? Because I've got, I've got two different camera angles. So that's very good. Um, as far as how much I shoot, so in, in this last story, I did a 35-minute interview on camera, and I included about four minutes of his comments. Out of 35 minutes? Yeah. Um, and that I would say that's probably the normal ratio. Um, and this, this person was the type of guy where he, it takes him a while to get to his point. He pauses. He says, uh, he kind of, backtracks and reformulates what he wants to say, which means I have to edit all that out. And that means I need to go to B-roll a lot because I need to cover up those edit points so that it's not a jump cut. So it was particularly challenging. So I knew as soon as I listened to him talk, oh, I got to have a lot of B-roll for this because I can't let him, even when he's making a really good point, it takes him 45 seconds to get to this point that can be expressed in 12 seconds. And I don't, and, and if you now, again, this goes back to my issue with how Keith pays. It's better for the reporter to just let him talk for 45 seconds because I'll make more money. But it's terrible for the audience. The audience won't watch. They'll click away. I mean, they might watch it if it's on Keith because they're watching TV and they're less picky. But if they're watching on Facebook, they're, they're clicking away from me. I, get to your point, bro. Like, I, gotta, I got other things to do. So I've got to chop it all down, and that's how I make less money but create a better product for the audience. Is that a new dynamic that you have to include when you were working for the radio and doing your radio news? I mean, did you have to focus about hooking the audience member and then keeping them engaged as much as you do now? Or the whole Facebook streaming from your phone, now it's all about retention. Now you have to constantly create that hook and reel them back in each time. I did the same thing when I freelanced for KMUD. I tried to create these dense stories that are interesting, just like NPR, so that people can have driveway moments with me the way they do with NPR, where they don't want to get out of their car because they don't because they want to hear the rest of my story. If you don't do that, it's it's just it's gonna the viewer the audience is going to not know why the story is different and why they're not interested. They're not going to be able to reverse engineer it and talk about it intelligently like I would because I think about media all the time. But they're just not going to be interested, and so. If they're not interested, what am I doing? Like, I, I've got to talk to people. I want them to listen to what I'm saying. And you've got to drill down. You've got to cut, cut out all the fat. 
it's it's something that's different between writing writers do this also but i notice that when writers try to produce radio stories they have trouble doing it in the same way they don't really cut down and and they they need a lot of help um so that chopping is something that you know takes time i learned a lot of it so i said i learned i learned a lot of video by watching the the networks i learned a lot of my radio reporting by listening to npr i had a job working at khsu the NPR member station in Arcata for five years, where I was basically weekday mornings, I had the NPR news in my headphones. I was doing other work and occasionally turning on my mic and jumping in, but I was listening to 15 hours a week of NPR reporting. And that was basically journalism school for me. So it was, and it was, you know, streaming into my brain, right? It's making these subtle changes. You're just absorbing what's going on um and at the time I, I i was when i was becoming conscious of why their stories were so good i was calling it the npr tricks npr has these tricks that they use to make you care about what they're saying and i stole all their tricks just like you steal rogan right stealing is you should steal steal all the time learn from the people that are better than you it yeah. saves you a lot of time yeah yeah so yeah so you really looked at it as a way of of studying how to get better. Absolutely. And that, that's how you learn anything. I mean, playing guitar, woodworking, whatever you're trying to learn how to do, you've got to try to look over the shoulder of people who are good at it. Right? Some people do not want to put in the 10,000 hours, though. Some people want that, that one viral TikTok video, and then you're just you're famous forever. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't produce viral content, unfortunately. I, I would like to be TikTok star too, but I, that's not, I don't know how to do it. I don't know if it's, I mean, maybe I'm just speaking out of my ass here because we're not there, but I can't imagine it's as fulfilling. I've never found that something that comes super easy gives me the same satisfaction as, of, as something that you have to constantly work at. That's one of the reasons why I love this is because I feel like every podcast I'm getting a little bit better. And sometimes I take a step back and then I've got to work twice as hard the next one, but there's always that incremental progress. I don't know if this just became some overnight success. I would treat it that same way. What's your process? Because I see you don't have a lot of questions written down. No, I, I don't write questions. All I have here is Eric Black, KHSU reporter, land use and pro proposed development, headline Humboldt, and your YouTube pages. The names of your YouTube pages. That's pretty basic. Yeah, yeah. It's very uh, skeleton notes. So so what's your process? I mean, how, how are you? Yeah, see, that's the thing is that you don't interview people. You just talk to people. You just talk to them. That's the magic, that's the magic of Rogan, right? It's not an interview. Um, but if I tried to pull that off, I'd be like, oh, well, what if it's like super awkward and we have nothing to talk about? And, you know, I, like, I don't, I, I don't have that personality. Like, how do you? I mean, you're doing it right now. Like, this is, trust me, it's not all me, because if it was all me, people would not want to listen. I mean, a huge portion of it, if not the majority, is coming from the guest. Right, but I'm not in charge of the conversation. I'm not nervous that we're going to run out of things to talk about, because at any minute, I can just stop talking, and then it's on you to, let's go, dude. That what? would be awkward. If, I've never had a guest, though, try me in that way and just sit there and not say anything. <laughs> I have had, actually, I take that back. I have had guests where it's one word answers, and it's, it's a challenge. You're trying to navigate, okay, give me a little bit more, maybe two words the next answer. Like, <laughs> come on, give me something. Um, but it's, it's, 
I mean, the conversation aspect is what I love most about it is that I was very intentional and probably because of consuming so much Rogan that that's all I could picture for this is a conversational format. And people reach out and say, hey, what are the, what questions are you going to ask me? And I say, I don't have any questions for you. I'm going to do a little bit of research on you. I'm going to figure out what you're about. And then we're just going to start talking and see where the conversation takes us. Nice. How do you navigate... So there's this issue that I run into in news reporting. You find out that Person X is relevant uh, to the story that I'm reporting. Now, what I could do is I could just over email try to book an interview with this person. But the problem is that some people, as you say, aren't talkers. Now, just because you're not a talker doesn't mean you're not doing something super impactful. You could be super impactful. But if you're super impactful and you come on this show and you're not a talker, it's going to suck, right? So. And you, you never screened me. We didn't ever talk. We were just over email. But because I'm in the media and I'm on camera, you can have a reasonable assumption that I can like talk because that's my thing that I do. But like, like, did you ever talk to Carrie Griffin? Like, yes, she's interesting, but did you know she was going to be able to talk about it? No. Most of the people that come on, I have never spoken to before. It's all through some text medium, either text or reach out over social media or i reach out through email and then they come on i think i've maybe had a phone call prior with three guests maybe that's lasted maybe 45 seconds they ask well, okay what are we going to talk about and i say i don't really know i figured we just start here and see where the conversation takes us and they're like all right well let's do it and you gamble and i'm sure part of that is my inexperience in that you gamble and hope that the guests can talk because i have had guests that can't talk but it, i never look at it in that it's the guest fault i look at it that i'm not experienced yet enough to pull out that conversational aspect in them so i always frame it in that way that okay i need to work on this that i need to be more conversational or figure out how to phrase the questions in a way that leads the conversation to a more interesting place because sometimes you go to a dry spot and you're just sitting there and you're talking about something like oh this is not interesting or like this is rough and Part of the skill is trying to recourse that and alter the direction and steer the ship just a little more to the right, and then you're going again. Hmm. That that's that's really surprising because yeah, I mean, I, it's good that you're saying that you look at it as okay. It's I haven't figured out how yet to draw them out, and I I've kind of talked myself into when it happens to me as well when I'm interviewing someone, I'm like, oh, I can't get them to talk about this thing that they're very knowledgeable about knowledgeable about and what they're doing um but like so sometimes that happens but that's the reality i am where i am and so i have conducted interviews um and you know recently where i conduct the interview i can't use anything of this i go back i listen to the interview i've got nothing that can work in the story i just wasted my time it might be my fault but it was still a waste of time um do you think that's the when you say that you can't use anything, is that because it's off topic or the direction is not what you expected it to be? No, it's because some people don't, aren't really that good at articulating ideas. I need you to talk about the thing you're doing. They're good at the thing they're doing, right? But they can't talk about it. Or a lot of people do this in interviews, which is funny. Uh, they'll kind of say like, they'll allude to the thing that is the that they're doing and and it kind of sort of like so obviously blah 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 it's like 
Well, no, my yeah, audience. You're like, pause. I, that's what I'm trying to get to. My audience has no idea what you're talking about. It's not obvious at all. I need you to break it down for me. But that's not how they think. Um, or at least I can't get them to think that way. Um, and it can be really frustrating for me. So I generally, I don't anymore do blind interviews like what you're saying you did with me and what you're doing with all your guests. And I'm surprised because I can edit all my stuff. You, are, you need a lot of conversation in your format. Um, and I would just think that sometimes you're just like, okay, we, we have no episode. You booked your producer, you, but, but we're, we got no show this week. Whoops. But good job in that not happening very often. Yeah. I, that's, I mean, one of the reasons why we do it live now is because then it's just out there. Just it's, it is what it is in its form. Kind of takes the pressure off of, oh, well, this one sucked. I mean, I, I've had ones that have sucked again because of mistakes that I've made, but I used to, yeah, I'm of the mind where you gotta you just gotta put them out there. That kind of lends itself in my weird way of thinking to my credibility is I'm not gonna edit this, I'm not gonna cut chunks. What we said is what we said. Here's the thing. And you can watch it or you cannot watch it, but you can't say, Oh, he manufactured this or he tweaked it to make this sound different or that sound different. No, there's the whole thing. Okay. Like it love it hate it you can't say i tweaked it okay but you're in a you're kind of in an interesting spot because you have the banner of a reporter so people might be a little more hesitant to which i mean it's not like you're talking to criminals who are hiding their secrets so maybe not but people get a little nervous as even coming in here when they see the cameras and they see the lights they're like oh this is this is real. And I'm like, yeah, you, you say that. And then you look over and you see the bar and you're like, oh, not, not as real as I thought it was. The bar is good. Yeah. It helps. Some <laughs> people get a little few drinks in them and they start opening up a little bit more. So we have that avenue as well. Uh, but you, I mean, when you go in, are you setting up a camera with a tripod on them? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, it depends, different interviews. I do different production value. It depends. I'm analyzing each situation, but for this Last video where I had only one source, I'm like, all right, it's hard to make a video that's interesting with only one source. I need really high production value. So I hired a friend who has a really good mobile light kit, and she came out with her, you know, whatever it is, $2,500 three-point light kit. Um, and we, I don't know if it was that much. It's, it's, it's expensive. I haven't invested in something like that yet. Um, and so, you know, yeah, the, the guy is being interviewed and he's got this huge light box right next to his face. And, you know, there's, a, there's, we had two camera shoot, you know, so that I could cut back and forth. I had the close up and I had a wide shot. Um, now he's kind of like a vet. He, he, he has talked to the media before. He is kind of like an authority on this. He's a reasonably good talker. So he's not intimidated by it. There are some people even without the lights that indeed are intimidated, um, I had an interview a couple years ago that was, it was not on video, it was for radio. And it was funny because she asked me, all right, I'd, I'd like you to send me the questions beforehand. You know, so I always give a disclaimer and I say, okay, these are the types of questions I'm thinking about, but I reserve the right to ask follow-ups to change my mind. But okay, you're asking me to send you questions. It's going to make you more comfortable. I will send you questions. And she showed up for the interview with paragraphs written out, printed out in hard copy of her answers to my questions. Um which I've never had happen before. Now, because this is radio, if someone did that in video, it would be a disaster because they'd be on camera, they'd be reading, it'd be terrible for the viewer. But on radio, you don't see the person, so they don't know she's reading, right? 
So it was actually a huge benefit because she could articulate all these super complex concepts without stuttering, without saying, uh, because she had it all written out. So, so it was almost like I could take blocks of her statements and just use them with no editing in between. Now, the downside is that you kind of hear that she's reading. It sounds very robotic. But, you know, afterwards, you know, I was chuckling, kind of talking to myself, because when she first busted out her papers, I was just, you know, I was just like, Wait, oh, what? it's going to be one of those. I was, I, well, one of those. I've never had that happen before, even with people that are nervous. But, you know, it, it, so I thought, oh, this, this might not go well. But then afterwards, I was like, you know what? She's got all of her ideas pre-formatted, and she's answering the question in an intelligent way. And she's, so maybe it was, maybe it was good. It wouldn't work for video, though. Do you get a lot of the people that you're interviewing, do they ask for questions beforehand? Are they less receptive to do it if they don't have the questions? Most people don't ask for questions beforehand. Um, it always kind of weirds me out when I find out that if it's like an interview on the person or on what something that they did and then they have all the questions beforehand. I felt that way about a lot of the candidate interviews. I don't want to put them on blast, but I think it's the League of Women Voters. I think they do that. And I just feel like you lose an essence in that because then they they had a ample time to think about it and formulate the best response not necessarily the response of how they really feel or what they would have said in the moment regardless of time you could give them more time i think the format is ridiculous we're in a world where you could have you know a four day long just session where each candidate you ask them the questions on the spot and they can take as much they could take three hours to answer one question if they wanted giving them the questions beforehand, letting them kind of manufacture and tweak and run it by whoever to see, oh, is this going to sound good? Does this seem like it's going to take for you? That always has rubbed me the wrong way. I totally agree with you. Um, the reason they do that is because everybody is usually willing to come on if there is that sort of format. You need the conditions. And, you know, but you're right. It, it creates an absolutely terrible piece of media. Uh, it, it, there's no conversation. There's no nothing. At the station that I first worked at when, uh, when, I, when I moved up here, uh, the host would ask questions to all the political candidates. But for each office, he would ask the same questions. And this was part of the promise to the candidates. I'm not going to follow up with anything. Here are the 12 questions I'm going to ask of every single candidate. So the benefit of that is that all the candidates come on because they can frame exactly what they want to say, but there's no follow-up. It's completely inorganic. Um, it's a disaster. It's, it's part of a, a, a wider issue of um, if, you're, if you're an attack dog and you're very confrontational, the media is much better, but you can't get the guests. I mean, I was watching Thomas Edrington, Thomas Edrington this morning, and he was talking about access journalism on your podcast. Um, having your sources and then not wanting to burn your sources. Yeah, how and, accurate was that? Yeah, and so it, it's kind of a version of that. But I get very frustrated like you with the League of Women Voters. And it's a great point that, you know, <laughs> they can just come on your show and have talk for six hours like this. You know, that's the thing. Old media has all these constraints. constraints. They're half-hour blocks and all. It's got to be exactly 28-minute and 15-second show. It's like, you know, let's just make a YouTube video, dude, and, and make it way better, you know. Um, see, so yeah, so I don't really have a solution to that because you're, you're trying to balance those two things. 
Well, I mean, especially for the presidential debate, we're picking a president, and we're gonna, we only get to see him for what? What is the block like? Two hours? Yeah. For four nights. Right. We're the president. We can't get. I don't know. Two weeks. What? Now, what do we do? We now, have the technology. But but at least in those debates, those moderators do ask follow-ups and do challenge the candidates. Whereas in League of Women Voters, they don't even do that. They won't challenge anything you say. It's against their ethos. Right. So you're just spewing trash. You know, whereas in the debates, no, they do follow up and they do whoever the network news guy is who is pretty well informed, he's going to challenge the candidates. So I would say they have a leg up even on the League of Women Voters. I, I am frustrated by the League of Women Voters. Yeah, not to knock them. I, I think the resource is still important in a sense, but I would rather have an authentic version of a couple candidates than some cookie cutter mold of all of them. You don't really get, you don't get a feel for who they actually are as a person. And I would rather have that and then use that to base, okay, what do I think you're going to vote on this? Would you be a good fit for this? You're going to vote in alignment with how I feel about these issues. I mean, if you're just spoon feeding me what you think I want to hear, where, where do I go with that? And I really just like, okay, pick X, Y, or Z, but they're all saying the same thing. Okay. Right, thanks. Yeah. It's, it's like, just, it's surprise, surprise. Everybody agrees we need more resources for mental health. Everybody agrees the homeless issue is a, is problem. a problem. Great. Sweet. Great. Glad, glad we got that question. <laughs> thanks. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah. Um, so I, I, because I've only recently discovered your podcast, I'm not, I don't know when the time, like all these people that were candidates like Juan Pablo Cervantes, I see he's in your list, and Natalie Arroyo, did they come on with you after they had already won the election or were they candidates when they came? They were candidates. So that's awesome. So you had your open format, you follow up when you think it needs more follow up and you move on when you need, well, you're not even asking questions. You're not interviewing them. You're hanging out with them. You're having a conversation, but that's awesome that you provided that alternative. Um, Unfortunately, I, I just discovered your podcast because I have my head up my ass. But no, no, we're I, we're a little undergrad still. Yeah, but I, but next one I will use you as as a campaign guy because that's great. I mean, you, you new media, good. You're you're following up and you're having long form conversations with none of these constraints. That's awesome. And even with that, I'm always surprised that they're the ones that come on are willing to come on because you don't know what I'm going to ask. Like as a politician, the safe bet is not coming on. Because I'm I'm a loose cannon. You don't know what I'm going to ask. You don't know what direction I'm going to take the conversation. Right. There's no there's no cookie cutter mold that you're going to fit into coming in here. And I I think that was especially true with uh, I had Karen Paz Dominguez on back after back before or during everything that was going on the investigations and everything. And she came on and we talked. That was that was one I had not necessarily questions, but I had eight, nine pages of notes and was formulating questions off those notes because I was really interested in that. And I think, again, and that's what it all ties back into is I'm going to ask the questions that I'm interested in and hopefully somebody else can find some value in that. But it's weird to me that nobody else has done that. I mean, the candidates want airtime, whether it's going to be good airtime or bad airtime, kind of up to them and where what they stand on. But I think that's all part of it. That's all part of having a healthy democracy and getting to know your candidates so two things number one key on this show that i freelance for they did do long-form interviews with the candidates so it's about 17 minutes not as long as you 17 that's what i'm saying i think there's another there's a radio station that did a couple too but theirs were six minutes maybe right so here's a question 
do you think during the next round you can get both candidates at the same time who are running together? Then you've got like a serious debate and you don't have the constraints. That Dude, that would be awesome. I've had that post to me. I don't know if I'm the guy for that. I think you're the guy for that, dude. And then what do you mean? <laughs> I, I, there's the issue of, is it less conversational and more moderation? Are they going to be, am I going to be asking one a question and then the other is going to be trying to jump down their throat and then it's going to turn into this chaos of them going back and forth and then it's just two hours of yelling. I've had those podcasts where you start losing control a little bit and you get worked up or the guest gets worked up or both and then the last x amount of time is just this this tug of war where's what's the point of that okay you're right uh you'd have to figure out what you're trying to accomplish and are you being a news guy like the news anchors who moderate the presidential debates are you being chill conversation guy uh i don't know because because even in that situation rogan doesn't really provide a model because he has the candidates on but he doesn't have two at the same time yeah he'll shoot the shit with bernie sanders but it's not like he's got Sanders and there's Hillary right there. And no, I've never seen. I mean, him. could you imagine Trump and Hillary when they were both running? What that would have looked like that, if he's trying to moderate? That, that would, uh, it would be. It would have been cool. Yeah. I'll be honest. It would have yeah. been awesome to see. But I don't know how that how that. And then what if you have four, five, six candidates? You're gonna bring one on with each person and then cycle back through. You just bring on two at a time. Well, but I'm I'm thinking especially when it gets to the runoff stage. By definition, there's only two. So at that point, the runoff, yeah, would be more conductive. You can that. do that. Um, eh. I'd watch for sure. I have had that. We've had that posed a couple times. Who who said that? I'm trying to remember who it was. I don't remember. We've had that. We've had that posed a couple times. And I was it, it was it was it listeners, viewers who were saying it, or was it the no, candidates? It was, it was people that have come on saying, "Oh, that would be an interesting resource for the community." If yeah. I thought I could do it justice, I mean, who knows? We'll we'll see. We got okay. another round of elections coming up again. So, but that would be an interesting format. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see yeah. how that would pan out if it would just turn into chaos. I don't think it would turn into chaos. I mean, the. I've, I, it's, it, we've maintained a pretty calm atmosphere most of the time. Yeah. We haven't had anybody storm off yet. So, we're going to need a camera on the door because one day that will happen. But, yeah, I don't know. Well, as the person leaves the yeah. frame, you can, you know. Yeah. Okay, thanks. <laughs> That'll be an interesting one to have. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that's one of the good things with the new media aspect is you're challenging things that were set in this way. I think that will eventually change. I think they'll go to longer debates when they realize that's what people want. They want to know the candidate and really get to know them. They don't want these basic questions. They want, they want to know who they're voting for, and mm -hmm. they should know. I mean, you think back to the soapbox days where a candidate would go stand in the town square, stand up on the box, and talk for hours. We don't have that today. We get tweets from your candidates. Oh, yeah. What is it? 280 characters? Right. Here's what I'm thinking. Right. How helpful is that? That would be great. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would definitely be into candidates in this relaxed forum. Um, but yeah, it, it, the issue of whether you're going to be the news guy interviewing them or your normal thing of being the chill guy, because when it's one person, your chill guy model works. But when it's two people and they're running against each other and you're playing the role of chill guy, I don't know if that works. I'd have to think about that more. Well, it's your podcast. I don't think about anything. You're going to decide. Yeah, you what think to about do. it. You let me know. Yeah. You come up with some ideas. <laughs>
Yeah. It's funny hearing you say the chill guy. I, I'm going to actually get that on a sticker. Chill guy. Because I feel like sometimes I've definitely been unchill before on the podcast. We've had some we've had some heated moments. Wow. But that's just that's, I haven't I haven't seen them yet. I mean, I've I've, I've probably watched um, like five hours of of your conversations but i haven't seen any conflict yet but you know that's you have a huge library of yeah we've got a, we've too much yeah we, i mean we've got too much i've done podcasts way too long but that's all part of learning and honing your craft in a sense i saw that you switched from like a, a white you know you were against some white wall and so this is only not that long that you've been doing this setup so how long has this setup been i mean this setup has changed a lot we just you're the third or fourth guest to have the curtains behind you we've recently added that i painted the wall a while ago we got some lights stuff it's it's constantly changing i started out on a pool table at my parents house that was the first podcast first two or three and then it moved into the dining room and it was just audio at the beginning or was it always video i think the first one or two might have just been audio the first few might have just been audio and then i very quickly realized no you need the video component but it used to just be a a single camera facing both of us which yeah. is rough nobody really wants to watch that and then it would cut out it was a gopro and i overheated the thing so it would cut out 45 minutes in and just go black yeah hashtag gopro life yeah right sorry on the screen and then it would just be a still of us for the rest of the podcast yeah i mean i'm sure you went through that the learning curves are, are just half the battle yep. just gotta i always tell andy if something's not going wrong we're not doing a podcast yep and you're always seeing then when you get deeper into it you're always seeing the next level you're seeing okay you know, and it's the second you upgrade to your next thing, you get your new gear, you paint your wall, you're like, oh, sweet. For two days, you're like, oh, sweet. Then, like, on the third day, you discover, hey, this other guy's doing this thing, and now I need all new gear, and I need I need to learn this software, and I've got to upgrade this mic, and boom, 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 and it's just a never-ending process. Yeah, there's I, no moment of satisfaction. No. Where, oh, yeah, okay, I reached it, I'm done. That's why I said I need to have a self-appreciation day. I still haven't done it, but I want to do it by the end of the year. It's kind of, like, on my list to just, okay, like kind of watch my old videos say hey this is cool that i've gotten better right and then still stay hungry but you know gotta have some self-appreciation you know i think that's important you gotta stop and smell the roses yeah otherwise you're gonna die and and then what yeah you never said oh wow look at what i did so that you can actually enjoy part of what you're doing and be happy and you know you just don't want to be that guy that's stopping every five seconds to smell the roses that that's bad yeah that's then you're 80 years old and you haven't achieved anything and Done you nothing. start spiraling. Yeah, you start spiraling. I saw a couple of your videos. I mean, you've had your channel for a while, right? I think I saw some, was it HSU games from like 10 years ago? Oh, yeah. That, that's, was that the start? That was basically the start. And you would just go, were you filming for them or were you just filming for yourself? I was just doing it for myself. And eventually they started embedding my videos. They just asked, hey, can we embed your videos on our game story? You know, um, now my video would come out a few days after the game happened, but you know, and they put up the written story immediately. But then once my video would publish, they would start embedding my stories, which is why the, the view counts are pretty decent relative to a lot of my other stuff uh, for those videos. Because there's a very targeted audience. There's like, we know there, there's the Humboldt State basketball fans. Yeah, they're going to watch the highlights of the game. That's cool, you know. Um, so those, yeah, those sports videos were the first videos I did, um, you know, cause I'm just a sports guy and that was, that was super fun. I'd like to go back and do it again. Um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I haven't, haven't gone back and, and done it again, but it's, yeah, it's, it's super fun. 
you know, and I, you know, I narrated, you know, like I'm some sportscaster and, uh, yeah, super cool. Is the idea to eventually build out Arcade News as its own standalone thing and you do that full time? Or do you kind of like doing the freelance as well? So if you look at like, okay, what Kim Kemp has done, she just created her own noob site, Redhead Black Belt, and she slays. She's got advertising money. She's She built her whole operation one person, right? So I respect the hell out of her. I mean, it's an incredible accomplishment. Um, I am not making any money off Arcade News. I don't sell advertising. And I don't think my model is really advertising friendly because i produce so little content right this is the same thing that the lost ghost outpost ran into with the video person that they hired which i was telling you about so i don't know whether i can make money uh, and i'm i'm not interested enough in making money to take time away from my content production to start researching okay how do people like me make money off this like it's just I don't know if that research would pay dividends, and I'm just not that energized by it. But what I would like to do, uh, if I could make freelance videos for the PBS NewsHour, which is a national news show, which is the public media side of things and not the corporate media side of things, so I like it better. I fit in much better with public media. I've worked in public media most of my media jobs. The only corporate media job I had was working for Redwood News for a year and a half, and then that first radio job that I had when I moved up to Eureka, but I've had tons of other jobs. They've always been in public media. So like if I could, you know, produce a, a video for PBS NewsHour, well now that, you know, they would pay quite well, plus it would be seen by hundreds of thousands of people. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I think a better way than, that's how I'd like to grow rather than, I mean, I would love to make money off Arcade News, but I just don't know how. Um, and yeah, Kim does it. But she puts up, you know, multiple posts per day. I'm never going to do that. And I think you have to do that to make money. I mean, if I, like, I could, maybe I could sell advertising on one of my videos, but, like, I produce one video every, like, six, six weeks, and then it's not like I'm getting that many views. Yes, it can increase, but it seems like a rough way to go. I don't know how to do it. If you have advice for me, hit me with your advice. Yeah, I mean, we're still working on that. That's, that's part of the game, right? The biggest thing is creating the content and... I mean, content is just, just the name of the game. But you're in the auto monetization thing on YouTube where you can, YouTube, you'll eventually get monetized. You'll get enough subscribers. You'll get enough views. And so that's like, what do call it? Like passive income. Well, I guess it's not passive income because you're creating the videos. But that there, kind of income. there's a built-in structure that is almost like you're working for YouTube, even though you're not. I don't even have that with, I mean, I could also try to monetize. So uh, I didn't tell you about this aspect. So I tried to create a YouTube channel that I could monetize. Um, which was a separate channel called TV News Writing Tips. I was going to ask you about that. Oh, so you saw that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, you and two other people are aware of the channel. Sweet. You've, you've, joined, an a start. Yeah. you've joined an exclusive club. Awesome. I'm still waiting on my, my membership hat to come in the mail. Right. Nice. And the hoodie. I'll send you a mug, you know, if you want me to. So that, the idea there was there is this problem uh, that exists in the reporting at both Redwood News, North Coast News, and beginning with TV stations that hire young people in small markets, which is that the writing is very poor. And so even when the reporters have good information, this, the power of the story is lost because they're not writing in a way that engages the viewer. 
And so I'm constantly seeing this on Redwood News and North Coast News. And when I was working at Redwood News, it was right in my face all the time because I was working with the reporters. Now, I was not working on the content side. I was in the control room. So it was it would have been out of line for me to say, like, I never said anything to a reporter about how they wrote a story. But I was watching it. I was receiving the scripts as the guy in the control room. They're handing in the scripts before the show. And I'm getting frustrated because... They've gone through all this work, but they're losing the power of their story with bad writing that can be changed so quickly, right? It's not like <clears throat> learning After Effects and doing a whole new animation. It's just writing words, right? It's easy to change in two seconds. So I got really frustrated. So I said, okay, I'm going to create this um, YouTube channel where I show news reporters bad stories, and I explain to them why the stories are written poorly, and I'm going to show them how to make those stories better. And the thing is, my writing is very rules-based. I have a series of rules that I follow when I write news stories. It's not really an art form, right? It doesn't really take, like, creative talent. It's just understanding the rules and rigorously applying those rules over and over and over. These kids who are getting hired at these stations are not aware of the rules, uh, there's too much to teach in college that they're just not catching it in college for whatever the reason. And so their stories are suffering. Uh, so I was like, okay, I can make myself like, I can start getting a lot of people to watch my, cause there's a lot of obviously young TV reporters. I can start getting a lot of views on my stories. It really hasn't worked out that way. Um, I question whether there is base. There are people who have done something similar in one-offs, made a single video about here's five news writing tips for TV reporters, but I haven't seen anybody be successful in making their whole channel about that. Um, so it's possible that I chose a niche that simply isn't possible to build out. On the other hand, the average view time on those videos is pretty low. People are tuning away. They're they're just they're just leaving in the middle. So it's, it's also possible that I just, I'm not doing a good job and I've got to figure out how to be, you know, sometimes you've got to admit defeat and say, okay, I, I, something's wrong and I need to do something different. It's also possible, and this is, I think, a big part of the problem, is that my target audience desperate, really does need my help, but they don't know they need my help. That could be a big one. That's a massive problem, right? If you want to do something in Premiere or Audition and you don't know how to do it, well, you know, hey, I want to do this. I don't know. I'm going to search in YouTube's search bar and then I'm going to get the answer. And that's how you arrive at new creators and all this stuff. And, all, you know, there's tons of people who do tutorials on video and, edit and audio editing production that blow up, right? But with me, I don't think people are asking the question of YouTube, how do I write better TV news stories? They think they're doing okay. That's a problem. And there, there's... There's, I don't know how I could ever overcome that. The, so the way, you know, I've, when I was working there, I was like, if I can just sit down with these reporters and, and, and show them all these things that they're missing and that they're doing that are kind of like sabotaging their own efforts, I think it would be really valuable. To um, I didn't do that because it's outside of my lane. That wasn't my job there. And I'm very kind of a rules-based person. If, if that's not my job, I'm not going to step this is none of my business, what they're writing. I'm, they're going to get offended that I'm saying you could do better. No, I'm not here to do that, so no. But I think it would be valuable it, like, if I was a news director and it would be my job to upgrade their stories, I think it would be immensely valuable. But it's possible that there's just no way to do it on YouTube because they're not looking for these 
this advice. Well, all of that ties back into people not being that great at storytelling, which how many of us fall into that realm and don't even know it? How many people have conversations and think, oh, yeah, I know how to talk. And then you do something like this and you realize, oh, I have no idea how to hold a conversation. I was there. I'm still probably there. That's you think because you do something like writing or like talking that you're good at it. And it's not until your feet are held to the flame that you realize, oh, I'm really not that good at this. But you do it all the you do it all the time. Do you watch all your episodes? I have to because I edit everything. So oh, I, oh, but I I hate it. I would not watch my episodes if I didn't have to edit them. So when you so okay, so what's the process? So we're streaming live right now. We're streaming live, and well, really, before I had Andy, I would go back through and I would have to cut the camera angles. So I'd have to cut to you when you're talking, and then I'd have to cut to me when I'm talking. And so you're essentially watching the entire podcast back. On top of, I would go through and edit the audio, just clean it up, not remove anything, but try to make it sound a little better, remove the background noise, move the audio hiss, stuff like that. And you're just, you're working through the whole podcast. And then if you go back through the clip portions to post smaller segments, you're watching it again. And it's just, yeah, if I didn't have to do that, I would not watch podcasts. You're using this... Um these facebook reels and instagram reels i think they're called uh i don't know about those and i don't really know how to do them but they're effective in your case they are effective. i gotta jump on that you, stuff. i don't yeah. know if it works for my format i don't know if clipping one of my news stories would be, really be good maybe i could just appear on camera and just make a separate video that's one of these reels saying this is what i'm reporting about blah 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 um but yours are really good because that quick hit of all right this is what you know donnie creekmore said about abortion and that's been a hard, a very hard lesson is learning to trim the fat for those. Because, I mean, when you're doing a podcast, a lot of it is fat. I enjoy the fat. It's like a good steak. You want a little fat on there. But the clips are not. The clips are like a filet. You need, you need it trimmed. And you got to have it tight. And you have to have that hook and bring people in. And the interesting thing is, in delving into that world of shorts, which Andy was a big proponent of that. Haley Lamb was another big proponent of telling me way back in the day to do shorts and i brush them off forever if you can do the shorts it'll drive people to your longer form uh content which is what which is the name of the game so do you edit the shorts in like premiere or do you edit within instagram within facebook like how does the editing work i do premiere so i have the long whole podcast and then i usually keep like time codes of oh this happened at this time this happened at this time this happened at this time and then i'll go back through and just clip interesting points maybe there's a 20 minute segment that's worth clipping here a one minute clip for a reel over here and you're just piecing all that together and the captions get generated automatically in premiere okay and then but then there's also the aspect that you're going from a horizontal video to a vertical video just increasing the zoom oh yeah it's not it's super easy in premiere I don't, is that what you're using to edit yeah so you're just so instead of uh a 16 by 9 video you're now a 9 by 16 aspect ratio and then you're just zooming in to fill the space yep okay all right so that's not all this sounds pretty straightforward and then you're posting the same vertical video to facebook and instagram yes sometimes i've tried to branch out so that it's a rotating schedule so this clip will be posted here this day this one will then be reposted maybe this day on another platform lately i've been doing reposting but at different times but the same day because i'm scratched for time right now 
but the ideal setup is to rotate it so that if you check all your socials one day you're not going to see the same clip on a different platform okay but i would recommend shorts i fought it for a long time i fought tiktok for a long time too and it's it's I mean, the reach is is insane. But it's the same video on all these platforms. It's just one video going to all the platforms. Okay. All right. So that's good to know. Um, yeah. This is just watching your shorts and your reels. I was like, okay, I, I need to get into this game. Um, yeah. Short little stuff is very compelling. It helps. It helps. And you could structure it in a way where maybe you just, you're throwing a punch around your news article or your news story or what you're trying to put and then linking the full video beneath that and people will click to that. The, the name of the game is The Reach and the shorts have the reach and then people will come back for the longer form content. And why do the algorithms favor the shorts? You don't know, but that's just I a fact no of the matter. Idea. I think YouTube is doing it right now to compete with TikTok and I'm sure that's why Instagram and Facebook are doing it as well is just to get people back to those platforms because tiktok has so many people now yeah bro i mean my youtube is really into your shorts i'm like okay i've i've had enough of nick like it's it's yeah, like, i'm done i'm I, done now can, we, can like, we change the algorithm yeah it's like hey like I, i've watched a bunch of them like chill with the nick uh, shorts but yeah it's feeding me because it sees how much watch time i have for your long form videos so it's just like oh he likes this it's gonna pump it to me all the time um cool okay so that's on my list of things to do and get involved in that game yeah i would 100 percent recommend that who is Haley that recommended this to you i don't know who she Haley is lamb oh she's awesome i've she's been on the podcast a number of times she's an entrepreneur businesswoman you could say she's around my age but she's out here kicking it she's buying rentals she's in investment properties a hustler in every sense of the word i mean she's out here she came on the podcast one time and was talking about how she only eats one meal a day because she's trying to save money to buy more properties i mean she is she motivates me is she eureka chick or yeah born i believe born and raised we went to high school together that's how i met her and oh, okay reconnected to the podcast one of the many benefits of doing the podcast okay but yeah she's badass she's she's like my canary in the coal mine i reach out to her and be like hey what do you what do you think of this what's going on here and she told me back it might have been my fourth or fifth podcast she said hey you should make some shorter content because we did a two or three hour one. She's like, you should really dice this up. And I was like, yeah, yeah, maybe I'll think about it. And then cut to Andy two and a half years later saying, yeah, you should really, really do this. I was like, yeah, okay. And he's like, no, you need to do this. And make it an important priority. It's not an afterthought. It's actually like... And it makes a huge difference. I fought it for so long, and it makes a huge difference. On what platform does it make the most difference? I mean, TikTok's, TikTok's up there. I would recommend hitting TikTok, YouTube, and then you could divide Facebook and Instagram. So, okay, two questions about TikTok. There are some people that say that TikTok is going to be banned in the United States or at least advocating to ban TikTok in the United States. Right, so that's one thing. And then there's the second group of people saying, well, even if it's not banned, you should not participate in it because it's China looking at you. Definitely is. What do you think about both of those things? I thought both of those things. I hope that it was banned and it definitely is spyware and I feel very uncomfortable about it being on my phone. But at some point it's kind of I You gonna play the game I, or not? Yeah, right. I mean that's really what it is, is are you gonna sacrifice maybe your privacy and your comfortability to try to get your thing off the ground? 
I mean, I fought it up. We're talking up until maybe two months ago. I finally downloaded TikTok. Okay. That's how recent so it was. Okay. Yeah. And I was freaked out. I was telling Andy, I was freaked out about the Chinese. I mean, I use a VPN. I don't share my contacts with it. I don't follow anybody. I don't scroll TikTok. I'm super hardcore. I post and I'm off the platform. Wow. Yeah. I don't leave it open on my phone. I mean, I'm very, which probably doesn't make a difference because it's still on my phone. But yeah. at least in my head, I can kind of say, okay, well, I'm not scrolling on it. They don't know me. I didn't sync my contacts. I didn't sync anything else with it. I use a VPN. Do you think it could get banned in the United States? Or alternatively, could could the big, could Google Play and Apple, could they just take it off their service? I think the question is, should it be banned? And I think the answer to that is yes. Whether yeah. lawmakers are privy to what it actually does or how bad it actually is. I mean, we have a lot of outdated laws and a lot of people in Congress that aren't really up on technology. So that it seems like there's a push now. I think they've banded on government devices in a couple states. I think they're trying to push some ban. But when Trump tried to ban it, probably because it's attached to Trump, there was so much pushback. I don't know if they would actually... And people are so addicted. People love TikTok. And nobody seems to care that it... Is just aggregating everything off your phone and tracking people and doing all of this really uncomfortable stuff. People don't care about privacy anymore, especially if you get that dopamine hit of scrolling in the next video. Yeah, who cares? I'm not doing anything bad. It, is the audience mostly people like under 20 or is it actually like? No, it's pretty diverse. You'd be amazed. It's people in their 50s and 60s. It's people in their teens. It's people in their 20s. It's everybody. A huge swath of the population is on tiktok huh okay <laughs> okay cool um I, I yeah i gotta think about what social media i want to upgrade to because there's a time investment and a learning curve with everything like this this happens all the time with like video editing is like someone will be like oh dude you gotta learn illustrator you know and i'm like dude i'm in three programs premiere photoshop and after effects I'm not learning Illustrator. If I need to do something that requires Illustrator, I got to hire someone. I can't just be like learning every single thing that exists because then I'll be, I won't get anywhere in any of those things. It's like, so like, no, I'm not learning Illustrator and good for graphic designers who do know it. And it's kind of the same. If I actually invest some time, like I'm not on Instagram. So I've told myself even before seeing your shorts, I was like, okay, I, I got to be on Instagram. Um, because now everybody says Facebook is just for boomers. You know, it's become like this, this joke. It's like, um, but if, okay, so if Instagram's my next thing, am I going to learn Instagram and TikTok? Huh. That's two platforms that you, and it takes time to like be comfortable and it takes multiple exposures and you know how it is. So, but, but th this is, you know, social media last time I checked pretty important for trying to grow your media reach, you know, it's definitely helpful. All right. But you're right. It, it's the the time commitment. I mean, that's everything. Is where do you want to shift your focus? And if you're shifting it, it's going to take away from something else or something else you could be working on. Now learn this other thing. Right. the The initial investment or the initial learning curve is fairly low for at least creating the style of reel. You'll have to figure out what trimming the fat means for your content in that short medium and what that would look like and how you would create the hook. And that would take some trial and error. And posting times is another huge factor. We had not Louie on, who's this local rapper and super nice guy. And he blew up on TikTok and was, would you say TikTok famous, Andy? I would say TikTok famous. 
I mean, 1. 1.2, 1. 1.3 million 1. 3, followers. So, no, like, a serious amount of followers on the platform. And he was telling us, really, the name of the game because I had no idea. And he's like, yeah, you got to focus on the times you're posting. You have to figure out what your content's going to look like to get people actually engaged. So, there's a little investment in that. But the actual clipping is not not terrible. Is he posting clips from a video that he's producing anyway or is he creating something specifically for that platform he's creating content so his his is a little different in that sense where he's creating trendy stuff but it's not he's not following on trends necessarily he's creating his own comedic stuff Uh and then uploading that to the platform okay so it's a little different but i think the the general rules there still provide like a good stepping stone okay it's a lot yeah (laughs) it's a lot I would not, I, I say this all the time, I would not be on social media if not for this podcast. I'm not, heck, I'm not interested. I'm not either. I, I never post anything personal on Facebook. <clears throat> and yet you have to be if you want to do this, this stuff and have people see it. Yeah. You have to be on the platforms. Right. Yeah. It, it, for me, it's just, although, so I'm on Twitter all the time. Twitter. I have not seen that's the one I need to venture into next. I'm not on Twitter. Uh, I, so I'm, I'm like a lot of news reporters. I love Twitter. Twitter is the, is the favorite you know, social media of news reporters. Um, it's great, despite everybody saying how awful it is. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, know, you got to curate your feed. You got to not get bogged down. You got you to have a... In fact, one of my favorite sub-stackers just posted about his Twitter rules, how he maintains sanity on Twitter. And it's, it's a really interesting article um, that, I, that I greatly appreciate. A lot of what he said is stuff that I've also... He basically really, in some ways wrote down my ethos towards how to maintain sanity while being on Twitter all the time. Um, but it, it's, it's great for quick nuggets of information. That's why news reporters like it so much. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I joined Twitter in like 2011 and I've just been in the last 10 years. I've spent so much time on Twitter, but it's great. So, yeah, I got to venture into the Twitter world. I want to venture in because of that news aspect. Mm-hmm. I think that would be nice. What do you make of the Musk takeover of Twitter? Do you think it's a good thing? You think it's a bad thing? So, my Twitter experience has not changed at all since he took it over, other than the fact, and this is quite annoying, when you open your feed, he is putting ads at the top. The first tweet you see is almost always sponsored, and that's annoying, but that is an extremely minor inconvenience. I I mean, I don't care. It's not really affecting anything. Um, So, my Twitter experience is not changing much. P- the the panic there was a day when everybody said you know twitter's about to collapse everybody was posting links to on twitter to their other social media sites follow me on mastodon which is like a twitter imitation and stuff like that and to be perfectly honest with you i kind of looked at all these dooms prophecies about twitter the way i do a lot of the coverage of trump where i'm just like hey chill out man like it's not the end of the world. Just yeah, you, guys, not following. No, n- yeah, just you're 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 being hyper melodramatic. No, Twitter's not going anywhere. Um, apparently, I mean, there are some issues with his personal behavior. Like he he's the CEO of the company, or I don't know, the owner of the company, and he's constantly on Twitter arguing with people, which is weird. Like, what are you doing, bro? Like, you just bought a yeah, like a hundred companies. Why are you on Twitter? Yeah, like what going what, in the comments? Right, yeah, exactly. So that is oddball behavior, um, but I expect, I mean, people are angry. And then as far as being angry at him, I guess people are angry at him because he's on the right. 
Um, I don't care about that stuff at all. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't get bogged down in the, this kind of wave of the progressive center left mainstream media, just having the bad people and the good people. It's, it's just ridiculous. I mean, this is getting into Donnie Creek more territory, big time. He loves this stuff. Um, and I'm, I generally am on the same stream as him, although I'm not nearly as he's all in on that. Whereas I'm trying to be more nuanced, but a lot of what he says, I agree with a lot of what he says in general. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an hour into that episode. I'm watching multiple episodes at once. So I'm, I'm going back and forth. Um, but I've heard Donnie speak at supervisors meetings many times. So I'm, you know, and, and I read Lost Coast Populist. And I have an idea to produce a story about new media in Humboldt County, which would look at Lost Coast Populist and Growing Pains. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of trying, you know, because each story takes so much time, I'm trying to figure out whether this would work, whether it would be an interesting story, what would be my perspective. So it's like, it's, you know, percolating in the back. Um, because I would have really liked to have known about your podcast. This is not blowing smoke up your ass. Like, forget about you inviting me on. Like, I, as a news reporter, I try to consume, I don't try, I do consume a massive amount of local news media. And even though you're not a news reporter and this is more conversation, it's still relevant to news. Um, and, and somehow I missed it until a week ago when you invited me on the pod. Um, so there's probably other people that, if I was to inform them about this pod, they'd be like, oh, cool. And then, yeah, let me go over and listen to this guy. And yeah, good for Eric for telling me about this. Same with Lost Coast Populist. Now, with because he is so combative and confrontational, um, talking about his site as if it's, there are some people who just won't consider him legitimate, that he's just, you know, bad, terrible, awful. I don't look at it that way. I, I don't look at people that way in general. Um, I get, you know, and so, yeah, again, when the center-left mainstream media decides that someone's bad, even if this happens, like, on a local level, because some of the dynamics of, like, the national media do happen in the local media, it's different, but they're, like, vibes that are the same. And Donnie is, you know, he's definitely on the outside, right? He's, he's trying to poke the Lost Coast outpost, as he explained right here. He, he's, he's trying to get in their space and name his site after their site, you know, all this stuff. Um... So yeah, I'm I'm thinking about doing a news story about you guys because it is interesting. Uh, you know, part of what I've been thinking is it would be really good if I could come up with one more uh, new media outlet that people haven't heard of that's doing stuff. I don't know what that outlet is yet because if I knew, I would be like, okay, that's my third. Um, so if like if it turns out that in the next like six weeks I discover, oh, what's this person doing in you know Fortuna? Then I'd be like, oh, now I've got three sites. Now I've got three things going on. I'd be like, that's pretty cool. But maybe two is enough. I have to think about it. Well, yeah, we can help you out with that. I mean, we're always available. Yeah. I, don't, I might be one of those people that you talk to and you have to throw away the whole conversation, to be fair. Just complete heads up. Nice. But yeah, that black and white binary perspective of this person's good. They follow the status quo. They're left. They fit into this box. This is the good. These are the good guys. This person questions things. This is not a good person. This person's racist. This person's just a terrible person. We need to exclude them from society. It's such a, a, just a failure way to look at people. I mean, people are nuanced. People have different beliefs. They have varying beliefs. 
they they have hopes they have dreams they have feelings because of things that have happened to them and led them in this direction and to just try to box people up is so it is a weird time that we're in where that is everybody's inclination oh you're right oh are you a trumper you think january 6th was good you but you don't think you don't believe in abortion like we just instantly go to these boxes and oh we're gonna check this one for you we're gonna check this one there's no nuance anymore you know i think that most people, at least intelligent people, agree with your assessment that, yeah, you know, pe- people are human. They're, they're so complicated, right? We acknowledge that in real life, but when our experiences are only online, this whole good people, bad people is kind of an online phenomenon because the way people talk to each other online, if you talked to actual people like that in real life, everybody would think you're a total asshole. Like, like if I'm at a party and someone mentions that they voted for Trump, like, I'm not going to accuse them of being, like, a racist, white supremacist. That would be ridiculous. Like... But they'll do it on Twitter. They'll, but they'll do it on Twitter. Without batting an eye. Right. And in way worse language. Yeah. There'll be a few F-bombs in there. Yeah. It, it, so... <sighs> the online... Fin- so, it, it's so... Because I spend so much time on Twitter where all this stuff happens, I'm never sure... You know, I, I do try to guard to make sure that I'm not forming too much of my perception of the world based on what's happening on Twitter. And the thing is, because I don't really have that interesting a social life, a lot of my human interaction is on Twitter. Because I'm, reply- I'm talking to people all the time on Twitter. Or you're going into the comments. I'm going into the comments and I'm replying to people. Yeah, dude. I don't do that. I, I try, I, I've tried it because I've wanted to build that community and i thought oh responding would be a great way and then i read some of the comments and i'm just i can't i can't go i can't i'm gonna leave that to the people you guys do with it what you will i cannot go in there so you don't have an account even for this podcast for twitter yeah no i need to get on twitter and he's been telling me that one too for a while now well i don't know how much it would drive traffic one of the people i follow who i trust said actually for media Twitter really doesn't drive that much traffic. She was explaining why she's leaving the platform and she started an independent news site called Quillette that's quite good. And she was saying, no, it's just a time sink for people who work. It's just to, to have arguments with bots. It's, it's a crazy thing. Even the people who are liking your tweets are not actually clicking through. It's not accomplishing anything. So yeah, I'm leaving the platform because I'm serious about my business and this is bunk. Uh, that's what she's saying. It's, it's one perspective. Um, so I don't know if it would drive traffic for you. I just find it stimulating um, and interesting, and it's a way I discover people all the time. Um, and the news aspect, I find that attractive. The news aspect is amazing. It's really, really good. You get, you're just, you're seeing so much summaries, boom, 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 listed quickly, and you can decide what you're going to click through to. I mean, I do click through a lot, so she's not describing me because I read stuff all the time where, you know, it's like the classic internet experience where I don't even know what site I'm on. It's just that someone recommended it on Twitter and I'm reading it and I, it probably made no brand impression on me because I never looked at the top to say, what site is this? And I might not have looked at anything around the text. I just read the article. Um, but sometimes, you know, you, you go back because you're like, okay, this is really good. Who's this dude? You know, and then, then you can, then at the bottom of his article, he's got his links to his Twitter. You go click on his Twitter, start following him. It sometimes works for me. Well, in Twitter especially, I'm not even on Twitter, and I've heard that it's just, it's a cesspool. That people just get lost in the comments, and then they spend all day fighting with some random person 
and to what end? What does that accomplish? And, well, the, one of the things is that you never know. There's so many bots on Twitter. So you can be spending all this time. Just fighting with a bot. Just you just wasted your whole day. And, you didn't and, convince anybody of anything. And you're getting frustrated and you're getting owned and you're getting dunked on. And, you, you know, all these things are happening to you and, you, and it's affecting your psychology. Yeah, it's dangerous. I don't have as many conversations as I used to, but that's. I was starting from a point of having so many conversations that I'm still on it a lot and and replying. Um, I don't. So as part of my Twitter rules, much like this dude was saying, who I was who I was reading his his Twitter rules. So I just don't insult people. It just like I to me the rules on Twitter should be the same as in real life. I don't insult strangers, you know, unless they come up to me and, but. But even when people insult me and call me names, I don't insult them back. I either don't respond or I carve out the substantive part of their comment that's not the name calling and I respond to the substance. But I'm, I'm extremely disciplined in this regard because I'm just not going to get into a situation where I'm calling people names. It, I mean, it's terrible. This is not the way to treat people. This is not good. <laughs> don't act like that. We don't act like that in real life, right? In real life, People just don't start insulting strangers. This does not happen, you know, at least in my world. Maybe I'm, you know, but at least in my world, it, it, it just doesn't happen. And I don't want to do it on social media either. It's frustrating. It's the anonymity aspect. It I is. I think that is a big factor. And people, you got to think, there is a majority of people, whether it's large or small, that do not like the life they're currently living. They're not happy. They're not doing something fulfilling. They're not in a great relationship. And so they can go online and everything that they have internalized, they can put out into the world on everybody else. And that's what they're doing. They're fighting with some random person calling, saying, hey, fuck you for this or whatever, because they're, I mean, I, every time I read, a, sometimes I'll dive into the comments just to read. And I never, it's, it's never coming from someone who you would want to emulate. Every time I read a nasty comment like that, I feel bad for that person. Right. Oh, if you have, first off, if you have the time to comment, in my mind, I'm like, you, you need to go, you, you should be working on something or find a hobby, do something productive. Second off, if your comment is hateful, what is going wrong in your life? There's no happy person, no, no person that loves their life and is hanging out with their family and is doing all these great things is going on Twitter to talk shit about somebody else or hate on somebody or call them names or just spew hate. Nobody's doing that. It's happy. So I, I think in general that's true, but there are some people who I know in real life locally and I see them on social media and I'll just look at what they're saying to people. This is more on Facebook because Facebook has you know more of a local presence and I'll just be like, what are you doing, bro? You're like, you're a normal person. You're smart. I know you. But do you think they're happy in their own life? I don't know whether they're happy um, because that's obviously, I don't know about people's yeah. internal experiences, but I do know that just from the way they seem fairly normal and well-adjusted, you know, and then I just look at their Facebook comments like, you don't have to insult people like that. Come on, bro. Like, you're not making anything better by doing that. Um, but I, I'm, I'm sensitive to insults. Like, that, that sort of, arena of, of insulting people I, that just could never be me does it weigh on you when people i mean do you get attacked a lot uh on twitter yeah does that weigh on you when you read those comments or can you brush it off pretty easy i it used to back when i was first on twitter when i wasn't used to it over the years i've gotten used to it um i i had one semi-viral tweet 
that attracted a lot of haters. This was this tweet got more engagement than anything I've ever done. Probably, I probably got twenty times as much engagement on this one tweet that I have on anything else I've ever done. And it's funny because sometimes I go back to read how I responded to all the people, and I was very diligent. I I followed my rules. People were calling me awful names, and I was responding to the substance of their objection and, and ignoring the name calling. Um. And that was kind of shocking that I was getting so much hate, but because I have followed, a, I follow a lot of big accounts who also get a lot of hate, I've heard those accounts talk about the experience of getting a lot of hate. So I was almost prepared. Um, there's this one guy, Clay Travis, he's big on social media. He's a popular media figure and he gets a lot of hate and he, he talks very intelligently about, you know, what he does about, you know, he's like, you got to just remember you're living a great life, basically what you talked about. And people are angry with their lives and frustrated with their lives. And it's just, it's just not real. Move on. And so I was able to do that, but it was still kind of surprising. What was the tweet? I was making a point that I didn't really make that well in the tweet, which I regret. If I knew that that as many people were going to see it as saw it, I would have worded it better, which is the thing that happens. Um, I was making the point that people were comparing the lives lost to COVID to 9-11. And they were saying that COVID is essentially 9-11 every day because it's roughly the same number of people that were dying. And I was saying, no, it's not, because the average age of the people dying on 9-11 is much younger than the average age of the people dying on COVID. And the lives of young people are more valuable than the lives of the old people because they have more life, life left to live. And so if 3,000 people a day are dying in both scenarios, those aren't equivalent events. I still believe that. Um, this was an extremely unpopular take. Um, of course, people were then responding and accusing me of saying things I wasn't saying. I don't think the lives of old people are useless. I don't think we should let old people die and not provide them medical care. That's absurd. I just think that because life is so precious, the more life you have left to live, the more valuable your life is. And the, the scenario that I kept explaining to people in the replies is, okay, so you come into work and you have two coworkers. One tells you her 80-year-old mother died and another tells you her seven-year-old daughter died. Do you react to those two pieces of news the same way? Of course you don't. They're not even remotely comparable events. 80-year-old people die. That's how life is. And seven-year-old people don't die. And so if a, if a seven-year-old dies, that is going to be a foundational event for the parent for the rest of that parent's life. When you're, when, but when your parent dies at 80, that's not a foundational event. I mean, it's, it's sad. And you've got a lot of things to take care of and you miss your parent, but it's part of normal life. If Right, these are like kind of like uh, philosophy one-on-one questions, or like classic conversations you have while pulling bong hits with your friends. Right, if the firefighter shows up and is told in that house there's a in that burning building there's a seven-year-old who needs to be saved, and in that burning building there's a seventy-five-year-old that needs to be saved, the firefighter should go and save the five-year-old and let the seventy-five-year-old. If they can save both, then great. But if you have to choose, it's an obvious choice. We all know this. We don't react to the death of young people the way we react to the death of old people, and that's what I'm saying. Well, when it comes to COVID, people can get a little retarded. 
So I was in the COVID Twitter wars a lot. I've got COVID takes. So, um, but okay, why, why is COVID a specific issue? I've, I'm making a broader philosophical point that it doesn't really depend on COVID, first of all. Well, yeah, you're trying to use logic. Yeah. And COVID is an emotional thing at its core. Yes. And so you're kind of, I mean, everyone that fights against that, you're kind of screaming into the void of, hey, guys, can we look at this rationally? Can we look at the statistics? Can we look at who's dying? Can we look at the vaccines? Maybe take a peek at that and the efficacy, maybe how they conducted the studies. Oh, no, you're right wing. It, it's just to shut down the argument. Oh, you want people. I had this lady come on one time. And it was back the early days of COVID. I don't know if it was like late 2020 or early 2021. And I told her that I was unvaccinated and the argument very quickly spiraled into, I want people to die and I don't care about grandma and I don't, I, I'm a shitty person. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. She didn't explicitly say it like that, but that's where the conversation went. And that's what you get is, oh, you don't believe in science. You don't believe in vaccines. You, it's, we go from this land of, objective reality where we can talk about this thing and have an actual discourse about it to we're going off emotion and this is an emotional thing and if you don't do these things if you don't check these boxes you don't care about people you are a shitty person bam and you questioned with your tweet kind of the narrative realm of hey these two things aren't really comparative because kids versus old people and you went into the void of emotion and you tried to use logic and that doesn't work out today is the reason that there was so much polarization about COVID based on the fact that Trump took a position that, hey, we can open up pretty soon and I'm never going to be photographed wearing a mask and all this stuff. And so because Trump sets the agenda when he was president, everything is based on him because there are some people that have basically advanced the theory that if Trump had taken the opposite stance if trump had been like all right we've got to lock down we have to right because that could be given that he's such like a nativist and nationalist he could we got to protect our americans right he could have taken the opposite thing of we got to lock down we got to protect our society and then it, and in that case some of these people argue the left would have taken the exact opposite argument the left would have been like no this is oppressive that we're wearing masks no people have a right to go to work and to recreate as they see free it's a freedom of choice what do you think about that theory to be honest, I think a lot of it was the news media. I think there was a lot of fear porn going on, and it affected people's psyches on a very deep level. It got people very afraid. I was one of those people. I flew back. I was in college at the time, and so March 2020 came around, and I came home because they were closing the college, and I was on a flight that somebody had COVID on, and I didn't find that out till a few days after I had been home, and I'd been hanging out with friends. I had been with my friend whose girlfriend at the time, now wife, was pregnant. And when I found out, I felt like a piece of shit because nobody knew what was, nobody knew what COVID was. Nobody knew what was going to happen. I didn't leave my house for the next few months after that. I locked down completely. I didn't want to get it. I didn't want to spread it to anybody. I felt so bad. And then you, so you start having this reversal. That's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because all I was consuming was fear porn, was the media was this very strategic narrative whether you want to call it that or not but just negative shit we could agree and i i realized kind of like what you said about twitter the world is not this this is not how people really feel this isn't what the real world is actually like and that's why i did this is i recognized i need to start talking to people or i'm gonna lose my shit i was spiraling and i think 
a lot of people went into that and had no way to pull themselves out. And then they bought into the vaccine, rightly so or wrongly so, and the thought of other people not buying in like they bought in freaked them out. And now it became a, no, you have to do this because I did this. I'm making this sacrifice. You need to sacrifice. And people, when they get a little bit of power and they don't have power in their lives, eat that shit up. And if I now have power over you to tell you to do something, I had people screaming at me while I was running outside to put on a mask. I'm not buying anybody. I'm running around town. People screaming at me, put on a mask. <laughs> For what? To to breathe in the mask? Like, what, what, what are we talking about here? And there are people still that refuse to look at the efficacy of the vaccine or the fact that they didn't really test to see if it affected transmission or not. They, it's just, it's this emotional thing and they cannot look at it because they've gone so far. They're so deep into this line of thinking where anything that opposes that is fake news. It's, it's just, you can't even turn an eye at it. I think a lot of it is people were afraid, rightly so, because who knows what happens with, with something like COVID, but it wasn't what we thought it was. And now to redirect, people can't do that. And then you have the vaccine mandates, which me and Donnie got into. It's you start going down this line of thinking and you almost get to a point where you can't turn back because then you admit, oh, shit, maybe I maybe I was wrong. Maybe we did something wrong here. Maybe we need to change our stance. People don't want to do that. That's a good analysis. It, the, the, the not changing your stance is interesting because it reminds me of. Um, someone was saying that essentially. You know, these Republican politicians who kind of went along with Trump um, when it became clear that he was this this massive force in the Republican Party, that over time, right, they, they have to stick with him. And essentially what they're doing, they're, they're no longer really defending Trump. They're defending their defense of Trump because they've, they've defended Trump in the past. They can't say, OK, well, now Trump's. Trump's gone overboard. He's he's really tripping hard, and, and and this is unacceptable. They have to kind of retroactively justify their previous defense of Trump. Um. Anyway, it just reminded me of that of people not kind of being able to shift course in the middle. Um. You've hitched your wagon to the idea. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, I was, and yeah, I can talk COVID for for a long time. Um. I I am very frustrated by what happened with the public health bureaucracy and with the media coverage. I mean, I, I the media coverage was, was disastrous. Um, there are kind of just like all these categorical kind of ways of thinking that I think were exposed as that, that many people are doing that was just erroneous logic um, that was really driving me nuts. Um, well, and a lot of it was just blatant lying which you could say oh they did it because they thought the public needed this or they needed the nudge but all that does is erode people's faith in these institutions so what happens next time what happens that's what i i'm worried about is what happens with the next virus that maybe is worse maybe is like the spanish flu and nobody pays attention because they say hey these fucking people lied to us last time so screw them and then how many people die because of that so okay what what are some examples of when you talk about the lies, like, what are you talking about? I think Fauci lying about the masks initially, even if you could argue that it was for the cause of, oh, we didn't want healthcare workers to not have them. You can't lie. 
you have to come out and you have to be honest with people. I agree. I think the lying across the board of, oh, once you get the vaccine, you can't get COVID again. And people like to come back with, oh, well, information changes. And people were saying that from the beginning and they were cast out as, oh, you're this skeptic. You're this far right person. You don't believe in science. And then now that the science has changed, it's, oh, well, everything's okay. You know, shit changes. The efficacy of masks, which I was touting from the jump because I paid attention that there were no studies on it. Unless you had an N95, people were wearing cloth masks. I wore those neck gaiters and I, I, you knew this is bullshit. This, it's not stopping anything. It's all for show. We're doing this weird social dance of show me you're a good person by putting on this mask that doesn't do anything. And then you still see there's still DHHS signs, I think on Broadway, of be a good person, wear a mask. Now they've got the triple demic, wear a mask because it's not going to do like if you engage in these fallacies, you erode your credibility. And that's where I was going back with the news is. You can only erode that so far before people stop trusting you. It's it's everybody's gonna make a mistake. And if you own up to that, we can move forward. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's gonna fall at some point or another. But to continue the lie, to keep to double down, I mean, what are we what are we doing? Um, I I agree, but and it and it goes beyond that because the again the mainstream center left media adopted an ethos that said that we cannot contradict what the public health bureaucracy is saying. Fauci said, "If you question a questioning Fauci, you're is questioning, questioning science. science. How I'm fucking like, crazy is that?" I'm like, bro. Like, did you really just say that? Like, you... And this is the guy that said people could spread AIDS just being in the same house as something. Like, people forget that Fauci was basically the head of the AIDS epidemic and got a lot of shit wrong and knew a lot of shit was wrong and still ran with it back then. Not to mention the gain-of-function research, which you bring that up and it just... Pe- people's eyes just gloss over. Right. That's where you get a lot of... You need to check your news feed. It's like, can you just... Do a Google search and just see what comes up with that. Right. And watch the interviews with him and Rand Paul. Did you do Gator? Well, it's not technically gain of function. What are we doing? We're playing this. We're just playing this game. And people are so polarized. The left-right divide is so polarized that you just fall into camp. Yeah. I mean, I just don't understand how the media could... So on the issue of masks, that's a, that, for me, that's a big one because uh, it affects everybody. If there's a mask mandate, like you got you go in the grocery store, you have to wear a mask, right? And the, it, it just would have been really easy to acknowledge the truth, which is that it's unclear whether masks significantly reduce the spread of COVID. That's like a very centrist, nuanced position. It's unclear. I happen to think they don't significantly reduce the spread of COVID, but there are some observational studies that seem to indicate that sometimes they work, but then people question the parameters of the study. You've probably followed this. Well, and the neck gaiters are worse, but you could wear those. The neck gaiters actually disperse the particles in a manner that is is worse than not wearing a mask. You're spreading them out farther, but you you can wear that. Just cover your face. Right. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that about neck gaiters, um, that they're actually worse. I guess so the, the theory is that they break down the aerosol as it hits the, the neck gator and it and shoot it out. And it makes it like a spray. Okay. 
Um, yeah, that, that, well, then that's bad. Um, but so people that are only consuming their news from the center left mainstream media are, they're interpreting that the fact that masks significantly reduce the spread of COVID is like saying the earth is round, like it's an established scientific fact. And anybody who contradicts that is misinformation, anti-science. And it's like, no, there are tons of incredibly respected experts in these fields that are saying we do not have compelling evidence indicating that masks significantly reduce the spread of COVID. They're not kooks. They have all these credentials. They're real people who know what they're talking about. Now, to be fair, there are also experts that say that masks do reduce the spread. It's an argument. And there are quacks. I mean, we can acknowledge there are quacks out there that just say shit. Yeah. But I'm sure you saw this episode of the Joe Rogan podcast where he had the guy who basically invented the mRNA vaccine come on and say, hey, guys. So I, I followed the Twitter arguments about that episode, but I never actually watched the primary source. I would watch that. That was a good one. Okay. And he basically comes out and says, hey, this shit is not going to do what people think it's going to do. And the branding, what really upsets me is the branding of vaccine. Because this isn't a vaccine. It's a flu shot. It, it's much more of a shot. And it's a shitty shot. But it's a, it's a shot. It's not a vaccine. N nobody's out here getting polio vaccines every year. We, we change the definition. We're playing these mind games. I do think it's... It, so I'm vaccinated. I think it, because it does reduce your chance of hospitalization or death, not by as much as originally thought, but it does reduce your chance of hospitalization or death, I value that, and that's that's why I'm vaccinated. Now, I thought it would it would reduce my chances more than it turns out it does, but I do think that's important. But that isn't, as you point out, that isn't the only thing that was promised. I mean, these statements, it's crazy that Fauci and Biden said, if you get vaccinated, you're not going to get COVID. Because, yes, the science changes, but I don't think there was ever in information indicating that you were 100% or even 99.9% .9 guaranteed not to get infected. No, it was that it was going to reduce your chance of infection significantly, but not completely eliminate it. They never tested for transmission. And, they, and then that came out. They never tested Which is kind of a big deal. Which is the whole deal. The right. whole argument was, get this, you can't spread it, you won't get it. They never tested for transmission right. in the trials. You would think that would be a bombshell and people would see that and say, okay... The, Something is wrong and the, with the narrative. The main, the main justification for the mandates is that, it, that, no, it's not a personal choice about the vaccine because it's about you infecting other people. Are you saving grandma? And, and, and yes, I don't think the proponents of the mandate, and actually, so did you talk about this with Natalie Arroyo? Because she voted to implement this for Eureka, the mandate. I don't know if we got into mandates with her. I think we talked to guns. I don't think we got into mandates. Okay, because... I believe, and you know, people can in the comments tell me that I'm wrong, that this didn't happen, but I believe in one of the League of Women Voters forums, she kind of touted the fact that she was on the Eureka City Council when we took a responsible step to uh, you know, require employees to get vaccinated, you know, to protect the safety of our workers. I'm like, uh, you're considering that an advantage? Like that, that's a strong point for your candidacy? I would expect you to be saying, hey, you know, we might have gotten this wrong. Uh, I apologize because I, I did go, like what I would say, I would say, okay, I, I thought the science was correct at the time, but it turns out, nah, the vaccine really doesn't reduce transmission. There really isn't a justification for the mandate. So we probably got that one wrong. But my other rec part of my record is great. 
but she's touting that as part of her like a, a strong point. And I'm just like, yo. But it's like what you said with the Trump thing. People have hitched their wagons to this belief. If you come out now and you are embedded in the left and you followed the masks, you got the vaccines, you got your double, triple booster, you're gearing up for your next one, to try to switch that that mindset and to to look at anything that contradicts that, it is it would almost break you. Because you've gone you've gone so far that you almost have to keep going because if you turn back, I mean you're deep in the hole now. And people don't like to be wrong. Admitting that you're wrong is a very hard thing for people. Yeah, I I guess that's that's why I never that's why if you develop a persona that says that you're always right, and a lot of like the most bombastic, successful like opinionists in the national media, that's the implicit personality that they have you know like the rush limbaugh types like bill o'reilly um a rachel maddow on the left you know that that you can trust them because they're right they they can hand over the opinion and then you know what to think and it's like no you're, you're like most people half the time you get it wrong you know i mean i don't i don't feel like that's a like part of my personality that i'm always right no i mean I, i'm confused about half the things that go on in the world more than that and you know i'm trying to do my best but you know, I'm trying to revise my opinions as I go along and trying to learn new things all the time, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so I'm, I'm annoyed at the public health bureaucracy, um, but I'm just because it's closer to me and because I work in the media, I am, you know, I'm really annoyed at the mainstream center-left media. And I just don't understand why they're acting this way. I mean, I do think that most news reporters want to pass along the truth. And this is like the, the the mass thing is really important because it it affects everybody. Like right, you you can you have the right not to get vaccinated, but if there's a mask mandate, even if you don't agree with it, you you need to get groceries. Like you have to comply. Well, if there's a the, the COVID passport. I mean, they almost tried to take the choice away, just like with the mask mandate. It's yeah. you you do this or you don't get to participate in society. Right. And and which maybe there's an argument if if this was something else other than COVID and the vaccine was a vaccine, maybe I I think forcing people to do something like that is a little iffy. But in this specific situation, it's just it's insane. Well, okay, so l let's do the philosophy one on one breakdown here. Suppose there was suppose we had this scenario: everybody who gets COVID dies, and if you get vaccinated, we have a 100% guarantee that you cannot transmit COVID to someone else. Under that scenario, I would say a vaccine mandate is justified, right? Now, this is, I'm exaggerating it just to make the logical philosophical point. So in that case, yes, there is a public health imperative. We do live in a collective society. We share this, the public space. We can mandate things when they're so incredibly, there's such a compelling public interest. But the COVID vaccine, as you pointed out, is not remotely like that. And at some point, as the numbers decline and they keep declining and they keep declining, right, it turns out only what, like one out of 300 cases of COVID results in death. And then the vaccine only reduces transmission by very little, if at all. And after a few months, it doesn't seem to reduce transmission at all. Then what is the justification for the mandate? And when I watched the supervisors and city council hearings that were about this issue, no one was really arguing these substantive points. We need to get into the substance. And no, we can't say that I'm trusting the experts because the, the public health officials, okay, 
the, the county public health officer who instituted the mask mandate, yes, he's a doctor, and yes, he knows more about human anatomy than I do, but he's not a better philosopher than I am, and he's also just one participant in a free society. I have the same status as him, right? So no, I don't have to trust him on everything. Yes, he's a doctor. He can explain to you the, the circulatory system better than I can, but he's not better than I am at explaining trade-offs and dealing with philosophical issues of freedom and when is it justified to require someone else to do something. And this idea that we have to trust the experts, the experts have very narrow expertise. That's true of everybody in the world, including me, right? You, you, you might know a lot about one specific thing, but the question of whether a mask mandate is justified is incredibly broad. It brings in so many different factors of, of living in a society. And when people on the left are telling me, oh, so you don't believe the experts? I'm like, bro, miss me with that noise. Like, I got no time for that. I trust the experts on their extremely narrow areas of expertise. That's one. And I acknowledge that experts disagree with each other on everything. It's rarely so cut and dried. And that's not just true about the efficacy of masks. Experts disagree on everything. There are, you know, activists who will tell you the experts agree that uh, giving puberty blockers to 12-year-olds who identify with the opposite gender, the experts say it, it, it's better for the health of that teen. Well, yes, some experts say that. Other people who work in that arena say the exact opposite, that it's crazy to block the puberty of a person who is having gender identity issues. So, you know, and, and when the mainstream media creates a model that says we can only talk to one set of experts and we can, we can have half of the experts constitute what is experts, I get super annoyed. I'm like, this is complex, bro. This is not, you're not, you're not reflecting what's actually happening in reality. And that's when I go onto Substack and get my COVID information from a bunch of dudes who are both helping me logically argue through this, but they're also reading just the, the stats of COVID and they're making arguments based on what they see in the data because the public health bureaucracy does have access to facts about who's dying and stuff better than the rest of us because they actually have like a coroner, they have to document it. So a lot of the analysts that I read on COVID were just guys who go through stats and they say, this is what we're seeing. And they're, they're, you know, a lot of them are like software engineers. They're kind of in the realm of like, they're being very analytical. Um, so when your dad says, check your feed, it's just like, dude, you check your feed and let's have a conversation about what constitutes credibility. But that therein lies the root of the problem because everybody is operating on a different feed and everybody holds their feed to be the absolute truth. It's not just trust that's the problem. That's not a bad thing. It's blind trust. It's trust where you can't ask questions. It's trust where you can't oppose different views. That's the problem. And that's where we are. And nobody, the only way to get out of that is to have the conversations. And that's where censorship comes in. Because how do you have the conversation when you're getting pulled from every platform for touting misinformation where in six months it's probably not going to be misinformation? <laughs> What, what what do they say? Like uh, today's conspiracy is like next year's scientific fact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a it is a weird fucking time to be alive. And back in the day, before we had the technology revolution, we all watched and read and consumed the same media. We all watched the CBS Evening News at six o'clock. 
and we we so there was kind of like a consensus about what the information everybody was, was on the same page everybody was on the same page um this model creates more chaos with new media but i also way prefer it because i think we can arrive at the truth better um that's if we make it through this period of we're the, at we're at the tipping point of we're either gonna make it through or shit's gonna hit the fan we have to get through and then it'll be okay maybe we can turn it into something but i, I don't buy the doomsday prophecies about american society just like i don't about twitter i mean it's like yeah there, there, there's there's a lot of stress going on and there's a lot of polarization but you know i would be more optimistic if not for ukraine because i feel like we're sleepwalking through this and so if we just had the polarization and the COVID stuff, I might feel a little more optimistic that we would pull our heads out of our asses and actually talk to each other uh-huh. and figure things out. Because that's, that's the only option is we have to figure it out. But with Ukraine, it's, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Hey, can I go to the bathroom? Yeah, we can actually wrap this up. I got to get out of here. Okay. Uh, this has been a blast, man. I really enjoyed sitting down and talking with you. We will definitely have to get you back on. Do you want to plug where people can find you, where they can find your stuff, your both your YouTubes, your Twitter, so they can follow you? Okay, so uh, Arcada News on Facebook, just search for Arcada News. Arcada News on YouTube, just search for Arcada News on, in the YouTube search bar. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Eric underscore Black 3. That's at Eric underscore Black 3. So E-R-I-C underscore Black, the color Black 3. Um, and I'm also around town just vibing out and trying to be a, you know, good person. All right. Well, I think we can end it on that. Thanks, Eric. All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. (laughs) 